Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 11th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Miss Amara Wood. Hiya. Mrs. Mara Wood, I'm sorry. Uh, I prefer Ms. Ms. Sorry, Ms. Ms. Mara Wood. (laughs) She's here with us. Uh, Stephanie uh, Cook is on her way back from her adventures in the Midwest in general this week. Uh, She'll be back next week, and that I think hopefully means we will have everyone back together um, for the first time since I think the X-Men show, I think, was the last time we were all. Unless I get the con flu. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There's a con (laughs) this weekend. There is. Like four of them, actually. Yeah, there is like four of them. The one we're talking about is Special Edition New York City, which is... Um, the Comic Con, the New York Comic Con, Read Pop, who throws that, is doing another convention. Um, smaller, I think it's basically just Artist Alley, like that size, mm-hmm. right? And yep. with a few panel rooms as well. Um, it's the 14th and 15th of June. And uh, I believe, I know Steve, you'll be there on Saturday? I'll be there all day Saturday. Oh, Saturday. And Bob, what about you? Both. Both days. Um, I will not be there either day because I'm working on Saturday and then Sunday is Father's Day. So. My dad, that's not my dad's idea of a fun Father's Day. So. <laughs> I have a wedding on Sunday. So oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did send me an email. So, what do you want to get your father for Father's Day? Yeah, tickets to a con. Yeah, he, yeah. He'd have loved that. Tickets to Special Edition New York. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to watch the U.S. Open. That's all he wants yeah. to do on Father's Day. So, we will definitely be doing that uh, uh, this week. But if you guys are at the show, um, you know, look for Steve and, and Bob there. Um, Bob there both days, Steve there on Saturday. I don't know how the hell you're going to find Bob on Sunday when Steve's not there, but... Look for me hanging out near Gail Simone. Yeah, there you go. Or, or Michael Allred. Probably <laughs> <laughs> well, floating around somewhere. But I, I look forward to hearing you guys' stories, because I am ex- I was excited to go. I'm, unfortunately, I can't, but I'm excited for this kind of smaller... Yeah, I'm yeah, curious about show. it. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how this is run, how fitting, you know, people-wise, population-wise, how big it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, if it's allocated to just that room... That's, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a big room. It's bigger than you think it is, but, um, the guest list seems rather robust Mm -hmm. for between like an artist alley type setup versus actual guests that are going to be there. Uh, I just, I wonder how many other rooms are going to open and which ones, because there are larger rooms and they can always remove the dividers to Mm -hmm. make it rooms bigger. Yeah. Um, I wonder too. I mean, I think that because the, the lineup is awesome, but I think that it's, since it's just comic book stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what they're relying on it being a much smaller crowd because there's no movie stuff, there's no TV stuff, there's no video game stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just comic book stuff. Yeah. So there's some vendors, but all comics related. It's yeah. about creators this time around, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Yeah, trying. I think I think they're trying to balance it out, you know, because obviously more and more New York is becoming less and less mm-hmm. about those things for the mass of people that go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, still so for us, obviously the comic book stuff is the most important stuff and the stuff that we focus on and cover. 
but I think that much like some of these smaller cons that happen around the country that are more focused on books and and the people who make the books, I think they wanted to do something like that. So I hope it works out. I hope it's great. And you know, mm. um, you know, I would I would like to see them look. I mean. I don't have the problem with the Javits Center that like, Stephanie does, but um, I, for a smaller show like that, I'd rather see them do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, just because I feel like it's yeah. gonna, it's gonna it's it's gonna feel cavernous. It's gonna I know all the amenities are there for them, but I, I wish they would find like, maybe a cooler place to, to do it. Well, they're gonna have to find out if they get forty thousand people. Yeah, they're gonna have needed the Javits. Yeah. Well, wasn't it limited to? I, I thought know. I saw five thousand. I don't even remember. That doesn't seem like a lot of people no, at all. No, it was limited to, I think it was more than that, but because what we were at like 200,000, 180,000 last year for New York Comic Con. Damn. Um, so I'd probably say like, probably like 20. I think they did cap it. They definitely capped it hmm. at a number um, because they just not have the space for it. But if, I don't know, you know if they sold it out or not. So I haven't seen that. So we'll I'll see. Find hmm. out this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing your guys' stories of uh, specialists in New York. Yeah. yeah, and there's another con here on the island. There is, yeah. A, eternal con at the Museum of uh, the Cradle of Aviation Cradle Museum. Of Aviation, yeah. There's one in Westchester. Yeah. There's another one, too. It's Denver Comic Con. Denver Comic Con, that's right. Yeah, so wow. a lot of stuff going on. A lot of cons happening all at the same time. Um, I, ho- I do hope those smaller cons here don't get kind of run over by the fact that, that they're having a show in, in the city. But I know, I think Rob is going to the one at the Cradle of Aviation. He's not even going to Special Edition New York. Oh. Um, yeah, I think he has tables there. Actually. Yeah, he has tables there. So. Ah. Yeah. Sneaky. Yeah, so we'll see about that. Mara, how are you? I'm doing well. It's, uh, I haven't been doing much this summer yet. I've, I'm waiting for my internship to start in August. So just kind of hanging around, um, getting ready to move, all that mm. good stuff. Now, moving is stressful. It's the worst. Yeah. How, how yeah, much stuff do you have to pack up? I can't imagine. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> like four, well, actually, more like five and a half full bookshelves of <laughs> books and trades, and nine long boxes mm. on top of like normal person amenities, like beds and and yeah. kitchen stuff. So, I'm and we live on the second floor of an apartment. Oh so this boy! Is, this is elevator? Like, no elevator. No elevator. I mean, it's it's not that bad. It's just stairs outside, but um, yeah, not not looking forward to it. <laughs> no, N- nothing will divorce you of your love for physical objects more than having to move. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Every I mean, time I move, it's, I want to have, I want to have. I'm like, I don't want to buy movies anymore. I don't want to buy books anymore. Like it's just yeah. every time I move, I want to get rid and get rid yep. of stuff. Yeah. Well, the other day I, I walk in and my husband was rearranging all of our trades in Omnibuy, and he was putting them on the shelf so nice and they look pretty and I'm like don't put them back up we gotta put them in boxes what are you doing he goes I just want to do this just let me do this <laughs> so I mean all my shelves are great but <laughs> it's only gonna last like two or three weeks I need it you need it to nest a little bit come on <laughs> make everything look nice take pictures of it before we disassemble mm-hmm. that could help actually help you put it back again yeah um, yeah I think so absolutely so um, we are going to be doing this week, we're going to be doing a little, uh, some listener questions, talking about some news and obviously our books of the week. So we put up the call on Facebook and Twitter and we got a bunch of people, of course, because people are awesome mm-hmm. um, and put up a bunch of stuff. So, but some of these listener questions actually refer directly to some news stories that we're going to talk about. Now, last week we talked mostly about comics. Most of the news this week is about not comic book stuff. Mm. It's about movies and it's about TV shows. It's about all of that business. Um, so uh, our very own Joey Bracino wrote in on Facebook. Joey. Whoa. And he said, Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. Go. So people don't know, 
Um, I believe it was yesterday the news came out that Vincent D'Onofrio, um, who obviously uh, probably actually best known for starring in Law and Order or Criminal Intent at this mm-hmm. point, but also um, he, he was he was the bad guy in the first Men in Black movie. Yeah, Edgar. Uh, yeah. Um, Holy been, crap, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and been in m- multitude of, of things. I always think of him in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, in Full yeah. Metal Jacket, obviously. Um, the very, the Bob beloved Happy Accidents. Happy Accidents. I love Happy Accidents. <laughs> the Cell. The Cell, yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's, re- he's really good in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of a lot of stuff um, is playing Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, in, um, in, in the Daredevil television show. So obviously we're starting out this segment right in Mara's wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I did see a picture of him. He looks very Kingpin to me. Yeah. it's okay i'm good with it he's a great great actor he'll pull this off and every bit of it the laughing villain the the whole maniacal thing and just power Mm -hmm. the sheer power that he exudes like he was orson welles for like three minutes he was in ed wood it's true he was he's uh he can be really creepy too so i think there's a lot of levels to what he does with that character which is cool i think it's a great hire they're looking at actors yeah you know, this guy has a resume that really is going to sell other actors to be in these projects. Wow. Mm-hmm. Vincent D'Onofrio did this? Oh, yeah. Sign me up. Who's Daredevil again? Charlie Cox. And that the is... The Stardust guy. Yeah, the guy from Stardust. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Also in uh, Board- Boardwalk Empire, apparently. Though I do not watch that show, so... I only saw the first couple episodes. It was decent, um, but I just... I fell behind. Uh, so I don't know anything about his performance in there, but... He, yeah, he's a good actor though, so it's cool. It's it's so far shaping up pretty yeah. nicely. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is awesome. Like he has a lot of power, like Bob was saying, a lot of gravitas. He he can be scary, you know, but he also mm-hmm. can be very charming. So there's a, it's someone you you could believe could rise the ranks of a criminal empire yeah. and take one over. Um, I I wonder how they're going to kind of portray him physically. You know, if they're going to go, if they're going to kind of beef him up in some way whether it be with you know practical stuff or or computer generated stuff to make him look hmm. bigger like like the kingpin because no. it is marvel doing it so i assume that they are going to try to give him at least the appearance of being bigger than a normal man i saw a photo of him attached to the article of like the announcement or, or yeah. whatever on jobo.com and granted he was sitting down in the back of a car but he already looked the part oh yeah you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. he already had the weight on him he was already just almost too big for the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> um, he has an old-fashioned physique. He's kind of barrel-chested. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's wide. Mm-hmm. So it probably wouldn't take much. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. It definitely is. He has the body type where they can enhance it in, in, in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering yeah. if they're going to rely on more like his his performance and his personality making him look, you know, making him feel bigger or they're actually mm-hmm. going to make him look bigger. They could always just throw some like uh, like under armor underneath his his clothes and kind of like you know, brought out the shoulders a little bit. Um, just put like a, almost not a bodysuit. Um, I don't know. I think whatever they would do to him, if they were to go digital with any of the effects, I think they would only need to be very slight. Yeah. I um, think, I yeah. think he's pretty method. I think I'm going to tell him, go eat some donuts and milkshakes and whatever. And <laughs> just put on, put on 40 pounds. Will you? I'm, I'm excited sure about him being on the show though. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's star power. It's another, uh, seasoned actor joining the, the Marvel fray. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a knack for getting, you know, really good people in, in really good roles. Yeah. And uh, especially for a villain, because you want somebody that knows what they're doing for a villain. Mm-hmm. And Kingpin mm-hmm. has been, he's pretty nasty mm-hmm. from things that I've, I've read with him in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, 
Mar, obviously you don't know, I don't know, do you know Vincent D'Onofrio? No, I've never even heard his name. Um, so he's a very good actor, but what do you think of the idea of them, you know, bulking him up for Kingpin? Would you like to see them do some sort of prosthetics on them? Would you like to see him enhance them with CG? Would you like to just see him as him and just using his personality? What would you prefer? I think the personality route would be best. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not CG. I don't, I don't think that would, I don't know. I just, I can't picture it turning out good mm-hmm. but yeah. i think i think if he's as good an actor as you guys say he's going to be able to make him seem larger than life on mm. screen yeah. so i i mean i'm not worried about it i think he's gonna be like i said i saw a picture of them and I'm like well that you know the face yeah. definitely <laughs> reminds me of king fen we're we're good here <laughs> i don't know if i could i don't but now that i think about it i don't know if i see them using any kind of effects mm. especially if it's something that's episodic and it's going to be 13 episodes i think after a while seeing that CG again and again, knowing what it is, I think would wear, I would kind of take it away, take something away from you a little bit after a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, and if they're going very street level and they're trying to make this as you know, gritty and whatever, he's a big enough dude that I don't, I don't think that, you know, they got, they got him for a reason. Yeah. You know, like we need this dude to be imposing mm-hmm. without having to, to bring in, you know, the effects teams from, uh, I don't know, some movie where there's somebody who's really giant. <laughs> Big fish. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see. But it's exciting. It's exciting because it feels closer and closer. It's cool that they're doing Kingpin. I wasn't even sure if they were, could do Kingpin. Of because of Spider-Man? Because of Spider-Man. I thought, I thought there was some <sighs> deal about when they had him in Daredevil for Fox, mm-hmm. it was like on loan. It was like a deal with Sony. Wow. I thought I had heard that before. So I thought that maybe he, Sony had somehow gotten the rights to him, even though I very much obviously... I, I associate him with Daredevil, but I, I don't know if that's where he first appeared. He Spider Man. He first appeared in Spider Man. Yeah. So, I, I, but the truth is, I think that it doesn't matter because I'm pretty sure that those rights only go to film. Like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure if Marvel wanted to, they could do live action TV shows with any of their characters. Just about. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think a lot of their characters have those rights taken up except for for film. Ooh, can we do Fantastic Four for television, <laughs> <laughs> please? Anyone, please. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's cool. I, I can't wait to see what, what we kind of see next and, and as we move on more and more. Um, well, Universal is supposedly doing Submariner again. That's true, it, yeah. It's, it's yeah. been in development for 15 years or something like that. Now, <laughs> yeah. that. now they're back on, well, let's do that. Yeah, I think that they um, they have to do it at some point soon or, or they're going to lose it. Yeah. Um, so we'll have, we'll have to see. All by itself, it's going to seem awfully weird. Yeah, yeah, they were talking about that. You know, they were saying, I, I remember them saying that they were trying to get and work out a deal um, I think that they were they, that, that wasn't definitely in the works before kind of Marvel and kind of met up, merged with Disney. They were trying to work on some kind of deal where he would be part of other movies. Mm-hmm. It will be weird. It would be. I think it would still be cool because it'd be. It's an it's a unexplored section yeah. of like superhero dumb is that underwater thing. Um, but it just he would have to be totally on his own. There would be no one else that he could even be associated right. with. Now, did Universal do the Hulk? They did, but they don't own those rights anymore. Okay. I think they still did when they did the Incredible Hulk, but it was that was like a joint deal with Marvel, and then now obviously right that was just before the change. Yeah, yeah. Just before the change. that's right. So, I want to. I'd love to see an Invaders movie. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It would have to be an Invaders TV show at this point. I think <laughs> I'd go with that too. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that we all are happy about Vincent D'Onofrio mm-hmm. as Kingpin. Um, some other news in in, in the Marvel universe, um, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, obviously, we we spoke. 
shortly about Edgar Wright leaving, and we kind of talked about how there was no resolution to it yet, so we didn't want to really talk about it too much because now we have, a, but now we have a resolution. So yeah. uh, on Saturday they they announced um, it really was crazy because in the morning they were like, oh, Peyton Reed is now being spoken to by Marvel to be the director, and then I feel like an hour later, like Peyton Reed is directing um, yeah. Ant Man. Um, so Peyton Reed is the new director of Ant Man. Um, the other news about it, which is, which I think has gone a little bit under the radar, is that Adam McKay, who was offered the directing job, had turned it down. Most famous for obviously writing Anchorman and uh, Ballad of Ricky Bobby and um, the other guys and Step Brothers and all of these movies, is doing rewrites um, on the script with um, on the script that was already already there, the one that was already rewritten by, by Marvel. So um, he is he is co-writing and Peyton Reed is directing. For people who don't know who Peyton Reed is, and I think that was probably a, a kind of a universal feeling i feel like when the announcement got made uh peyton reed made a movie um uh called down with love um it, it was in the early 2000s i believe that movie came out ethan um uh, ethan Hunt, um you and mcgregor, McGregor and renee zellweger a, a very stylish 60s 50s 60s period no, swinging 60s Six, sort of alfie period yeah sort exactly of thing. um so he made that very very stylish movie um he made bring it on um he made uh, the breakup uh, and I think the most recent thing he made was Yes Man. I feel like that's the most recent he thing made that, that he made. He made the the Herbie remake. Oh, did he do the Herbie remake? With oh, Lindsay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lindsay Lohan Herbie movie. So he's very much, I think he started his career very much as wanting to be one director and then kind of became a director for hire at, at some point. Because I don't think people really direct the Herbie remake out of passion. You know, <laughs> <laughs> because company asked them to do it. I love that car. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of fun with the Herbie movies when I was a kid, but there's no part of me that's like, yeah. Dad, need it. Dad, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this announcement was made, and you know it was met with um, indifference. It was met with um, uh, disappointment from people. Um, my personal opinion is, first of all, I mentioned Down with Love first because to me that's that's the movie that I point to. It shows that he is a director with style, which is which is different than the other directors that they were talking to. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Adam McKay's movies, but Adam McKay isn't a isn't a style director. He's a he's a comedy director, and there's and that's not to say he can't do style. But that definitely means that he's not coming into it with the predisposition to have a, a, a stylish eye to him. Same thing with uh, you know Ross and Thurber, who is a, is a is a comedy director who made um, Dodgeball and he made uh, We Are the Millers, I believe. Um, that just came out. Uh, they uh, they talked to Ruben. Ruben Fleischer was the only other person that I was I thought was an interesting Don't choice. Don't know that name. Zombieland. Oh, I uh, love Zombieland. Uh, Thirty seconds or less director. He apparently turned it down though. Um, and they apparently talked to someone else as well, who a name I cannot remember at this point. Um, Ruben Fleischer was the only director they were speaking to that seemed like he had a, a, a flair for what they what mm-hmm. they were really looking for. Um, you know, so the style there, and honestly, like for me, like there are certain there are certain versions of like of teen comedies that I think are great, and I think Bring It On is one of those movies. I think Bring It On is one of the the better teen comedies. You know, it for me, it's up there kind of with. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it's not as insightful, I'd say, as, like, something like Mean Girls, but it has, like, uh, I think a similar quality level to it. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very good teen movie, and then he's been a director for hire for the last few years. So, uh, for me, I, I was, over all the choices that they were positing, other than Fleischer, I, I was I was happy with the choice, because I feel like he's a director with a lot of potential, um, who who has the ability to do stylish things, and I feel like, I, I'm you know, the... the they re-released the synopsis of the movie, which it's a fantastic synopsis. I, like it makes me excited to see the movie. Um, but I feel like there's definitely going to be some past Hank Pym stuff in that movie, and it's going to be that 
era and that time period. And I feel like he's the right kind of director sure. to do it. So I was excited when I heard it. Um, Steve, what were you? What were your thoughts when you saw the Peyton Reed thing? Uh, the Peyton Reed thing doesn't. The, I got to be honest. The whole the whole shake up, the whole announcement of the it doesn't do anything mm-hmm. for me. Um, I've not seen Down with Love, so I, I'm not sure about his his sense of style. Um, I do, however, trust your opinion when it comes to film, <laughs> uh, especially if you're saying that he has style. I think mm-hmm. that's very cool. Um, and what you say about him being a director for hire, um, I, I definitely could see that. And I, I do believe that, but, um, his library and his, just his roster of films doesn't necessarily instill me with confidence when mm-hmm. it comes to, but as we've seen, my favorite Marvel movie of all of them was directed by the guy that did you, me and Dupree. Yeah. So what the <laughs> hell do I know? Yeah. Um, the, 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 I, I'm more optimistic about Peyton Reed than I am about Adam McKay. Um, I'll probably get flayed for this. <laughs> I fucking hate Iron uh, Anchorman, not Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Hate Anchorman. Hate almost all of those movies. Step Brothers had its moments. Can't stand Talladega Nights. Can't stand the whole man-child approach to comedy that comes with Will Ferrell and his gaggle of friends. Um, it's just not my thing. Comedy is in my opinion, of all film genres, is the most specific. Either you find it funny or you don't. I don't find anything funny about those movies whatsoever. The idea of him doing the writing on this film actually depresses me a little bit. Um, But I've been wrong before, and I hope to be wrong again. So I want to see this movie because I love the character. I'm hoping that it blows my mind. Um... I'm optimistic. I'm I'm less excited for it than I was when when Edgar Wright was attached to it. Of course, obviously, um, just because I love every damn thing that that man has done. But if it wasn't, if they weren't going to go with his vision, and he left by choice, then I totally support that. Mm-hmm. If he wants to go and make another project, another really crazy, funny movie in his vision, the way that he wants to do it, instead of doing something that he feels like he's attached to, that he has to kind of change what he initially wanted to do, then I don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, go and do your own thing and, and find somebody else. And like I said, with Captain America 2, the, a director that directed a movie that I would never sit down for ever directed this phenomenal, ridiculous spy, th- not even spy thriller, but just like mm. war thriller. And I loved every minute of it. So if Peyton Reed can can do that, or he doesn't even have to rise to mm. that to that level. Just give me a fun, and and I want the Ant Man movie to be complicated. I want it to jump around from character to character. I want it to be, you know, fun and strange. And if he's got style, you're gonna need style to do Ant Man. Because I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of people about the Ant Man movie that I know people that aren't really into comics. They are not excited for this movie. They're not excited for it at all. Oh, they should be. Yeah, I mean, oh, and I, yeah. 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 But I just like my friend, my friend Tom. I was talking to him about the the, the whole shake up and you know updating him on the thing, and he just looked at me and he's like, "Ant Man, dude, Ant Man," and I said, "You don't understand. You don't know." And he's like, "Ant Man." So I handed him the Children's Crusade, mm-hmm. and he read it, and he loved it, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Now I want to see Ant Man." I said, "You see?" Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, whatever. Um, like I said, the director could be very cool. I, I hope that I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, uh, writing I'm a little dodgy on, but as anybody that listens to this podcast for the last couple of years has known, 
I'm usually wrong about the movie stuff. So bring it on. Hey, hey whoa. Yeah. Closed it off on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and just so it's uh, two guys who directed Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay. The Russo brothers. Uh, but, ah. they, but they both directed You, Me, and Dupree. So. Okay. Um, well, then they're both awesome. But the reason they got that gig was because they directed the modern combat episode of Community. The paintball episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they were going to say they directed Mortal Kombat. Yeah. No. Like, yes. No. Um, so, Mara, here's a question for you. This was actually Dyer Harris left this, and we're all going to answer it, but I want to start with you, Mara. It's got to do with this stuff. He says, do you like the directions the Marvel Studio films are going in, comedy for Ant-Man and horror for Doctor Strange? Absolutely. Um, I think that... I think it was with Winter Soldier. I read an interview somewhere that Marvel's not making superhero movies. They're making movies that have superheroes in them. And so for each of the characters, there's a different approach to it, a different nuance. And that's something that I've seen more in their comics, uh, that not every comic they've been putting out. Like, for instance, Black Widow is different than Ms. Marvel, you know. Mm. But on the DC side, we see a lot more similarities between the comics and differences. That kind of upsets me a little bit, but th- they're really doing. I think they're doing a great job with their their movies and giving each one of them a different feel. And right. I think that's going to pay off in the long run when we have more of these Avengers titles that are pulling all these different characters together and watching their worlds collide. That yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, what about you? Oh, absolutely. I I agree with Mara. We've had now World War II movies, science fiction films. We're now moving into horror and straight comedy. That, that's, an ox, that's, an, that's an oxymoron. Space yeah. is next. Yeah. Space is very, very soon. R- right. So by the time we <laughs> get to Avengers 3, mm-hmm. what is that team going to look like as we start to pull in? Some people retire, some come in. We all have a team that might have Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel in it. Right, yeah. They're they're will right <laughs> exactly, but they're willing to take a chance with talking trees and shooting raccoons and all the rest of it. And why not just just keep replicating what's in their line of books? I'm thrilled that it's gone this way. And who would have known? You're talking about picking directors. John Favreau from Swingers mm-hmm. directing Iron Man. Yeah. Now, when you saw his old show Dinner for Five, he was obviously one of us. Mm-hmm. But who knew that was going to translate to, to an entire Marvel universe of films? It was just that starting point by finding the right guy yeah. willing to take a chance on him. Mm-hmm. Boy, can't mm-hmm. wait to see what Doctor Strange could look like. There are casting yeah. rumors, yeah, We're too. going to talk about those as well. Okay. It's part, mm-hmm. of, the, it's part of the news. Okay. It's part of the Ooh. news. <laughs> so we, we talked a little bit about, obviously, Ant-Man already with you, Steve. But what do you think yeah. about the Doctor Strange stuff? Because you weren't here last week when no. we announced the director. I was having the time of my life last yeah, week. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I, it's it's cool. I like the idea that Marvel is, you know, moving out into these other genres. Um, I don't know necessarily. I mean, I know everybody keeps on saying it's going to be a horror movie. Do we know that for sure? No, I think it will be horror influenced. I think is more what it is. Right, like, because yeah. of the director. Yeah, because yeah. of the director. Okay. You don't pick him if you're not looking uh, for... Subject matter, right. too. Yeah, yes, absolutely. But yeah. I think that it's not going to be a horror movie. It's going to be no. a creepy yeah, it's gonna fantasy have, it's action gonna have horror movie. Demons, yeah, yeah. Hellraiser kind of thing. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah, it's not going to be like Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> I liked um, what was that? The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Yes, yeah. I really I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I thought cool. it was really cool. I watched it a couple of years ago. I remember thinking that it was decent. Uh, I've not seen Sinister, uh, pretty much because I don't watch horror movies by myself anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened, but I, I don't. I think it was uh, what the hell was that movie? <sighs> but, uh, I can't remember it. I'll, I'll think of it. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, no, cool. I 
I want. I'd like to hear some casting. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I'm I'm all for it. Doctor Strange, it, he travels in some very dark territory and dark circles, and I like the idea of them having the the balls really and just the the guts to make a move like this and say, hey, you know, we know you guys love your superhero stuff. But if this is going to work and if this is going to become a genre all its own, we need to branch out and we need to do different things. Otherwise, you know, they're going to get formulaic. You're going to get tired of stuff. And by the time we make it to Avengers 3, you might not care as much. Mm -hmm. So but if we mix things up and we've got, you know, a little bit of something for everyone, uh, it will only draw more people in where some people that love horror movies might find the comic book Mm -hmm. films to be a little too silly they might go and see Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. And then if Doctor Strange participates in another film, they say, hey, I really love Doctor Strange. You know, if they're going to bring that that creepiness and that otherworldliness to this series and this franchise, I'm going to go check it out because Mm -hmm. why the hell not? Mm -hmm. I just had the most insane idea that it'll never happen. (laughs) What? Well, the talk was after the Netflix series run their course, they were Mm going to, if it all worked, they were going to combine them into the, the Defenders. Yeah. Well, I want there to be an Avengers 4 and have it be the Avengers Defenders War, <laughs> which is Dormammu and Loki. Dormammu. And the two teams fighting each other as they manipulate them into mm. Doctor Strange and the whole... Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. In my head, they're, they're making that movie. Uh, so t- speaking of Doctor Strange, let's talk about some casting rumors. Um, these are the, I, I follow these under the too-good-to-be-true heading because they just feel like the two people that everyone would automatically pick Whenever you're making anything like this, yep. that would that would lead your movie. Mm-hmm. But the two, obviously, we talked a little about Jared Leto was mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is still kind of like I, that's probably still out there someplace, but it, it seems to have kind of gone out of the fire for a little bit. The two names that are, are have been thrown around this week a lot are um, Tom Hardy and Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch uh, for mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I, Tom Hardy is great, but I don't think there's anybody more perfect than Benedict Cumberbatch no, for Doctor Strange. I think that it would be an absolutely amazing choice uh, for that. Whether or not he, it's all, it's all because it'd be able to, he wants to do it when he wants to sign that deal to be in, you know, ten Marvel movies <laughs> and make less mm. than he's going to make combined, probably on his next movie alone. You know, so we have to see what happens with, with that kind of stuff. But he is exactly the kind. I mean, Tom Hardy is also this kind of actor who is going to be such a force of personality and presence in the movie that it, he is he is the perfect fit for what I truly believe is going to be their kind of next Tony Stark, you mm. know, like character. Who they're, they're going to put that much focus, I feel like, on Stephen Strange in Phase 3. Then but, Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we're having, because Robert Downey Jr. is going to, is just being, doing Avengers 2 and Avengers 3 and that's it, they need somebody else to be kind of the face of of that world mm-hmm. um somebody who's and they need they need somebody with that same kind of attitude because that's the kind of stuff that really that gets you out there and sells you know i mean captain america can be amazing but they're never gonna chris evans you know being you know being so good good is never going to yeah. make isn't never gonna make it's not sexy you know it's not that thing so they need somebody like that and i feel like they'll definitely that would definitely be Stephen strange yeah. and he has such an arc because yeah. he goes from swaggering conceited playboy doctor mm-hmm to wreck, drunken wreck, to student of the occult, Mm -hmm. to then he eventually sort of gets some of that personality back. Right, yeah. He's occasionally flippant to demons who are trying to fry him with mystic bolts or whatever It's (laughs) while he's casting spells. So 
there's a lot for a great actor to play with. If you show Benedict a script yeah. with all that in it, he might say, you know, this is Sherlock Holmes all over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys uh, that are listening are looking for uh, Doctor Strange, if you don't know the character uh, too much, there's lots of stuff that you can read. But uh, definitely check out season one of Doctor Strange by Greg Pak and uh, art by Emma Rios. Yeah. It is fantastic. And you get, uh, a, you get pretty much his whole, his whole deal mm-hmm. within that story. So if you want to brush up on your Doctor Strange, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. And it's the one Marvel animated feature that's actually good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're not usually very good. Oh, the new one's no. terrible. Yeah. The Black Widow Punisher one. Oh, oh yeah. really? You Woof. saw it? Oh, yeah. oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lasted 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes that I turned it off. It was mm. so bad. They never, never made very good ones. Uh, Mara, what do you think about those two casting rumors? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I, don't, I don't buy it. Um, I'd be, it's been stuck in my head because I saw it on Tumblr that um, casting someone of color for the role. Mm. Um, And of course, like people do fan casting all the time. And one of the fan casts was uh, uh, the guy who played Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones as Doctor Strange. Mm. And Hmm. yeah, no, he could definitely work. I can't get it out of my head. Like that's, (laughs) that's it for me. That's, that's who I'm picturing. Uh, I can't picture Benedict Cumberbatch with facial hair. I, I can't. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of it. It's not. Uh. It's not good. It's not a good look for him. <laughs> well, he kind of looks like a giant baby anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I love him. He's like he's one of my favorite actors in the world. But you got to have some swagger. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, swagger. swagger. Oh, he definitely on homes, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. But I, like I said, I, I think, you know, I, I think it'd be a shame if they didn't go a little non-white mm-hmm. <laughs> with. <laughs> With this major role, I think I think that would be a good move on their part. But I don't, you know, I just I don't see them doing it. They're probably going to go safe. They're, well, I they're mean, probably I think not going to stir any waters. I mean, Stephanie had talked about the rumor about Odette Fur yeah. um, as well. Who is I? I and like, I think that. I think that that is a very plausible way to go with it. I mean, I think that because I think for them, it's it's like it's different enough to get them headlines, but not so different that it completely like reshapes you know who the character mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. um so I, I could see it happening absolutely i i i, I think we, we went through this with guardians of the galaxy and i think that the you know the the article i read to this as well you know they went through like every single 28 year old actor in hollywood for um you know star lord mm-hmm. before they got to chris pratt mm-hmm. so yeah we're gonna see I mean, a, and actually these actors actually have to sign their contract before they screen test. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if they agree to screen test, they're basically agreeing to the role. And if they do, they, they have to sign like that 10 movie contract before they ever even do a screen test. Can you picture Cumberbatch signing something that big though? I don't know. I mean, I, I think so. I mean, it, it, if he talks, if you look at the other actors, I mean, obviously now they got famous because they were in these Marvel movies. I mean, you know, extra famous, but you look at Chris Evans or you look at, um, you know, um, Thor, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth. Um, I mean, Chris Hemsworth has had a fantastic career around the Marvel movies. So I think that you can still do great stuff. I think it makes it easy. If, if Cumberbatch signs that kind of deal, he no longer has to worry about, like, he can do whatever indie stuff he wants to yeah, do whenever he wants to do it. Right. Because he knows he always has this thing that's going to keep him, you know, in the public eye, you know, in, in everybody, on everybody's lips for however many years, six, seven years, whatever it is. Um, but he may not want to. He might want the freedom to do whatever he wants. So we'll have to see. I think it's less likely that someone like Tom Hardy signs that deal. 
because I, I just don't feel like it doesn't seem like that's something he would want to do. He's just too he does too risky a stuff. I feel like he you know wasn't he recently attached to something else comic book related in the past few days? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, mm. he's got that Mad Max movie that is I could swear I saw never going to happen. I think uh, I saw something too, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Was it a fan cast or a Uh-oh. no? It was a, it was legit. Mm. I'll have to look it up. Um, but we'll have to see. Swamp thing. Yeah, <laughs> that I could go for that. Yeah. Um, well, this see what happens w- w- with that stuff. Uh, another question about this kind of this kind of topic before we move on away from this stuff. Um, Christian on, on Facebook says, "Is Marvel Studios going to suffer from execs getting too involved in their films, like other studios, example Sony or Fox?" So obviously, we're, this comes right off the Edgar Wright situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, what do you think? I th- it's difficult because to now we haven't seen Marvel Studios make a mistake. We don't. We all love Edgar Wright. We don't mm-hmm. know is having him not on this project going to create a terrible movie. Right. If they end up with a really good picture that fits into the tone and style of what they're trying to do as a unified whole, then it was the right move. If they end up with a bum movie that doesn't work, that doesn't advance the, the overall plot, then it was a terrible mistake. But we can't know yet. I think they're trying for not homogenous, mm-hmm. but something unified, something mm-hmm. that works together as a, as a puzzle piece. Yeah. So I, I think it's a little different than creating hubbub for no reason, as mm. we've seen Fox seemingly do. Right, yeah. Sony just trying to they have to just reboot or uh, Avi Arad getting involved with Sam Raimi's mm. Spider-Man 3 to the point of ruining the thing. Though Raimi has said, oh, well, I wrote it. Don't blame him. I did it. <laughs> but I, too soon to tell, but I don't think so. Yeah. I think that's the thing, right? They haven't, they haven't made a mistake yet. So it's it's... We're, we're, we're calling that, like you said before, the thing that we think is the mistake is, is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this. I think that it can be dangerous. It can be detrimental to getting highly artistic people to work on your films if they, if they see you as too controlling. But this isn't anything new for them either. You look at what happened after Iron Man 1... Basically, John Favreau was two seconds away from not coming back. They almost had to recast Nick Fury. They did recast Rhodey over money. So all you know, and people don't remember this, but Alan Taylor was not the first director of Thor two. There was another director yeah. before, and she left before you know the the starting of filming, and she, even farther along than what happened with um, than with Edgar Wright. And we heard stories from uh, with Thor two with them kicking Alan Taylor out of the edit room, all this stuff. So this is nothing new. So it, are their practices the best? I, I, can't, I can't say. I'd say probably no if you're, if you're working for, director, for them. Yeah. If you're working for them, probably not. But as an audience member, I have yet to been really disappointed in anything they've done, save for Iron Man 2. I think that's the only one I would have to say that I, I, I wasn't in love with. But that was more because of story stuff than, mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, I, I think that... Until they make that mistake, and it's going to happen. It happens to everybody. It happened to freaking Pixar. It's going to happen to Marvel. Yeah. You know, you, you're going to make a, you're going to, they're going to make a bad movie. Whether that's Ant Man or whether that's, you know, we haven't look, we haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy yet. It looks fucking awesome, but we haven't seen it yet. You know, so who knows what, what's going to when we actually see it? It might be a big mess. But here's the question: Yeah, have you seen the teaser trailer for Big Hero Six? I have, and I think it looks cool. I think that it's not the comic book. Mm-hmm. but I think it looks really awesome. It looks fun. It looks funny. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with that kind of property. It's a really inter- interesting one to pick, right? Because no one knows what it is. <laughs> and I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. What did you think of it? I laughed my ass off. Oh, yeah? I did. I laughed my ass <laughs> off. I can't wait to see that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very excited for it. 
I'm hoping that it's the first of many, not necessarily of Big Hero 6 movies, but just big Marvel theatrical animated releases. Yeah. I think it would be really cool. It's a cool place from the mind, right? Because they're never going to do big stuff because they, they don't want... I don't think, I think they're very concerned about messing with the, the continuity of the overall universe. What if we got a Nova movie? Well, but I think Nova's going to be in the movies, yeah. the, the real movies. Because mm. the Nova Corps is the already... The little kid from Iron Man 3. Yeah. yeah <laughs> is already going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy, basically. Like, yeah. um, Glenn Close's character is like the head of the Nova Corps. I forgot she was in that. So yeah. I, I, And they've shown already, the costumes in the, the trailers for yeah. the Nova Corps, too. Yeah, mm, they're okay. there. Yeah, they are. Okay, so I, th- they're going to be in there. So I think you're going to see Nova for real in the movies, um, and you can always tell when this stuff's going to happen years out because you'll be like, "Why is this random character in every cartoon that they do?" It's because they're going to put them in a movie, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I definitely that's definitely going to happen. But um, moving on from that stuff, uh, quick news: some comic book news. Um, uh, Warren Ellis um, and Declan Shelby are leaving Moon Knight. After issue six. Yep. And hmm. this is the announcement where then you learn that Moon Knight got canceled. I mean, it's not canceled, but it's going to happen now. <laughs> it just it feels too much like a book to me that is, is a propelled in sales and in buzz by the people writing it and, and drawing it. Mm-hmm. And also, it feels like passion to me. I mean, I'm sure Marvel wants to do a Moon Knight thing anyway. Um, because I, I guarantee you there it's somewhere in their mind to do Adam to like the TV world or something like mm-hmm. that. But I, I think that um, I, I just don't see uh, that book lasting very long without Warren Ellis. I don't know. What do you think, Mara? I have not read Moon Knight because I'm mm-hmm. still bitter about Bendis and Malief leaving Spider-Woman for it. So I have no opinion <laughs> it's like on like five this. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Except that I feel a little, I feel good about this. <laughs> I have this weird personal vendetta against Moon Knight just for that one reason and I know wow. it, I know it's ridiculous but it's what I've got to hold on to so I will continue to hold on to it <laughs> I'm sorry for all the fans of Moon Knight out there who are getting mad at me uh, Brian Wood is taking over writing duties by the way on Moon Knight um, uh, so Steve um, are you going to be dropping Moon Knight after Warren Ellis is off the book? Honestly probably yeah Yeah. Um, it started off being this just this incredible thing that when that first issue came out i was jazzed i was super jazzed i was like oh this is my favorite of the new marvel now 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff and then issue two came out and i'm like ah silent a silent issue more mm-hmm. or less that's all right that's cool and the third one came out and i'm like ah more silence mm-hmm. couple words more silence mm-hmm. and then the fourth one came out and it's it's decent it's not shaping up to be the story that I wanted. Um, losing its its core creative team, the people that went to bat with it in the first place, makes me lose confidence um, in the book. Not in the character, but in the book. I think the character is very cool. But I really wanted them to be on this book for a while and for this to be something that even if I dropped off of it for a little while that I could go back to and people were like telling me like, oh man, you dropped Moon Knight? Mm. Pfft, that was that was stupid. Right. You got to go pick it up. It's, the trade comes out next week, man. You got to catch up. And I would read it and I'd be like, whoa, you know, <laughs> comic of the year. Mm. And now we don't know. Um Brian Wood writing it doesn't doesn't necessarily excite me after what's happened with X Men. Not to say that one book ruins a writer; it certainly does not. Mm. Um, I just my my enthusiasm and my my momentum for the for the Moon Knight book was seriously hampered after that first issue. Mm. Um, it just 
it did not keep the pace that that I had wanted. I was really, really intrigued and fascinated by that first issue. And even though the others have been cool, it's it's been a, a pretty much a downhill slope since that first issue for me. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree with you completely. I, I read the second issue and I actually stopped buying the book. That's, um, I'll, I'll, I'll collect it until yeah. five or six whenever they're done. Yeah. But when they when they do the switch, I doubt very much that I'll I'll be picking up another. I mean, not that we didn't see this. Warren Ellis doesn't do much more than six or 12 issues of anything that he ever does, mm-hmm. you know? Um, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, I mean, it, as far as, like, I think for work for hire stuff, obviously, I think he's done longer stuff. Yeah, I think, um, somebody, I think Melissa might have told me, she's like, oh, it's just part for the course, dude. Like, that's what happens. And yeah. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that happened with him. So, it's not unexpected, but I don't know. I mean, Bobby, you were going to say about that. Uh, I started reading it, and I had mm. the same feeling both you guys mm. did. First issue was really interesting, change up on the character, and then you came back around to the three personalities mm. and... Second issue, just as Steve said, what, huh? Mm. I, I buy Warren Ellis books for Warren Ellis's words, yeah. and there weren't any. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and three was quirky and weird looking, and I didn't even bother picking that one up, and mm. I went, oh, I'll wait and see what the rest look like, and now I'll buy a trade, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like, the fourth the fourth issue was Bananas. Mm-hmm. You, have you ever read it all? No. It's really, really weird. Like, super duper duper mm. weird. It gets, like, psychedelic and just otherworldly and dimension jumps and just weird creatures and it just so much potential but if i know that it's that they're going to be wrapping it up then yeah you know i don't know it it, it could be a, a cool little six you know cool little trade mm-hmm. but um it's just a shame that it didn't turn out to be the book that i i'd hoped mm-hmm. that it would be yeah i mean we'll see what happens with brian wood i feel like i agree like when it comes to his um, Marvel stuff, I, I don't get super excited for it anymore. I still get excited for the the, the creator own stuff, but mm-hmm. um, I the, my the only the only thing I would say is I would hope, may not hope, but I would think that I don't think Brian Wood's going to try to emulate the Warren Ellis style. Well, that would be, be hard, yeah. Yeah, so I think that you're going to see a, probably the character moved more back towards like a center point again. Which honestly, like Warren Ellis is brilliant, but only Warren Ellis can do Warren Ellis. So moving back to the center point might make the book you know, week to month to month, a more enjoyable, you know, consistent mm. read. Um, that happens sometimes, you know, sometimes you like, so, something can be brilliant or something can be attempting to be brilliant and just not be an enjoyable thing month to month. Yeah. You know, and, and more enjoyable, obviously when it's collected in a trade. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. There. I mean, I, I missed the, the reader's fatigue and the, mm-hmm. you know, I have the biggest pull list of the podcast <laughs> yeah. and I missed the podcast where we talk about our pull lists. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing against the creator at all. I've been entertained by by many of uh, Brian Wood's uh, projects and books. I just, you know, you talk about trimming and you talk about stuff, and when when I'm wavering on something, even in the slightest, it's got to go mm-hmm. until I until I hear otherwise, it's got to go. Yeah. yeah. So there's just there's there's too much. Absolutely, absolutely. I am fatigued. <laughs> Damn it. Um. All right. So that's it for the news section of things. Let's move on to some books. Let's do our lightning round. The, the lightning round. The lightning round. <laughs> lightning round. Do we have music for it yet? No, that's this is it, Bob. Okay. <laughs> Don't you? The symphony for the, the years. The various sound effects of the lightning round. All right. We need to play Europe, the final countdown or something. <laughs> Don't ask me because I'll think of Arrest Development when I hear that song. <laughs> I'll get some cards, some yeah. pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the life fluid come from? Um, uh, I'll ask. All right. uh, 
who was the oh forget it that's that's game video game stuff yeah. <laughs> the battlefield battlefield when the the smoke came up at the end of the presentation yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like it's gonna be awesome it's <laughs> like oh no <laughs> that's gonna be a gift yeah um so if the guys are listening, maybe you missed a couple shows, maybe you're new, Lightning Round is where we take a few books that aren't kind of book of the week ready or books we talked about a bunch that we have a ton to say about. We do them in three minutes, all right? And so, it's lovely. It's lovely. So it can be one, look, you can spend three minutes on one book if you want to, or you can do 10 books in three minutes, which is what Bob usually does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, up, it's up to you, um, but you get three minutes and then... We sometimes go over because sometimes other people want to talk about the book as well, and we don't count that against. Uh, so, Bob, I want you to go first. Okay, okay. You ready? Sure. And lightning round, go. I'm going to start with X Factor number nine. Peter David and Carmine D. John Dominico. Hey! <laughs> Colors by Lee Lofridge. <laughs> Uh, we pick up here with the story of Georgia Decay, who they picked up last week from her abusive anti mutant father. And now she's becoming acclimated to the, the, the new family that Peter's created here. I am so glad I stuck with this because each issue is getting better and better. And we're now telling this story. We see uh, Harrison Snow, the head of Serval Industries, and Polaris. Why did you go off by yourself? And, well, someone had to do what we needed to. Well, you could have asked me. Mm. There's, there's humor on every page. There's tons of great Gambit stuff in here. He's finally getting a nice little... Nice little spot in this book after the cancellation of his own. Mm. That book did get canceled, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's long gone. So anyway, X Factor number nine. Do yourself a favor. Pick up the first trade, which I think is just about to come out. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think so. So we're only up to issue nine, so you could catch back up on X Factor. Uh, the reverse for me is Black Widow number seven. Nathan Edmondson, Phil Noto, whose art I absolutely still adore. It's the start of a new arc. She's now in San Francisco. Daredevil gets a post and future present flashbacky kind of thing i don't know how you'd even describe that it's just it seems like each issue is another case and it doesn't drive anything forward until we get to the very end as we did the last issue so enjoying it but not enough that i would probably continue past issue seven i'm in the same boat okay then it's to something i've talked about once or twice on here but it's doc savage from dynamite we're up to issue number six that's Chris Roberson, who wrote this character before here and there a little bit in Masks as a sort of sidebar cameo that no one got to see him, but we talked about him. And the artist is named Bilqui Everly. It's B-I-L-Q-U-I-S. I'm saying it like Marquis of Queensberry, but it could be Bilquis. But needless to say, what we've had here through six issues is each issue has been in a different time period, each one moving forward. So we started in the late 30s. We're now into the 2000s. Doc mission continues. In this one, he's got some... Uh, AIDS out there in, in, in Africa and terrorists and rebels in a civil war. They're captured. He's saving them. On his way back, someone hacks into his worldwide computer system that controls everything. Planes start crashing out of the air. Tankers dump their cargo into the oceans. Bad stuff going on. And we're told this story through one of his new AIDS. This girl, Samantha, who's now in her 20s, we've seen her as an infant in the last issue 20 years back and seen her parents meet two issues before this. Mm. All these stories are coming together. This is going to be a spectacular trade read, two issues out. Dynamite always does a great job with that. So if people were iffy about the Doc Savage, not knowing who it is, pick this up. This is a lot of fun. I'm And I'm a big Doc Savage fan from back in the old trade paperbacks. Just a ton of good old-fashioned comic book fun. Nice. Eight seconds left. Yes. Bob's the master at the lightning round. He is. Um, <laughs> Mara, I want to ask you, Bob brought up... Um, 
Got your time's up, Bob. Bob, <laughs> Bob brought up Black Widow, and you mentioned a little bit before. Um, how are you feeling about, about Black Widow? I actually haven't read the latest issue yet. Okay. I'm a little bit behind, but I, I've been pleased with it. Um, at least the first four or five issues that I've read of the series. Um, I hope many happy returns to the comic series. <laughs> um, they always have to be a little bit careful with these newer series that mm-hmm. spring up. Your, I don't know. I'm always afraid that they're just going to disappear. But I think it, it fills a certain role mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe in providing a darker female-led book. Mm-hmm. So, Have you been reading Elektra? I, I read the first half of the first issue and then I had to go do something and I haven't gone back to it, but I did buy the first two issues and really that excellent. I do, I do get that darker, darker vibe from it too. Yeah. The art is unbelievable in that book. Oh Indeed. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, unbelievable art. Um, yeah, I'm still enjoying The Widow, but not loving. Mm-hmm. And that's in this day and age with so much to read. Yeah. You start to say, I'd love to read this story as a whole. The first six told one long story mm-hmm. but each issue read a month apart seemed mm-hmm. like almost the same issue each time right, See, yeah. I read right. it. I have to I have to get back and atone for something I did and I love that idea yeah just not every month right yeah, yeah. I love the tone of it I love the art uh, writing is very good but I feel like it's at this point it's a little directionless I don't know where we're That's going what we're doing yeah. like I, I understand that she's trying to you know clean her wipe from her ledger and stuff but yeah. like how you said that the the arc ended I I couldn't even tell where the arc had ended and and where the new story began I mean we always talk about writing for the trade maybe that's a good thing hmm. maybe it's a good thing that mm-hmm. I don't I can't tell the difference but I just even with issue number I felt like issue number 7 was was the closer for for this uh the past couple of issues you might be able to read it that way. I don't know. But I, I thought when she... Oh, I can't say anything. Mara hasn't read it yet. But someone gets disposed yeah. of in issue six. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I sort of figured that was the end of that. But then she picks up with more missions. So just, it's sort of... It's all interrelated. I love... I love the, like I said, I love... I think the art is beautiful. Uh, really, really enjoy the character. I just don't know that it's moving along with a story that I feel mm-hmm. my, like I'm Agreed. attaching myself to. Yeah. Mara, you were, you were trying to chime in before. Um, I was going to say, I think it would be awesome if Marvel did a different thing with Black Widow instead of showing her trying to redeem herself, actually show all the crap she did in her past. Right. I think, I think mm. a story of KGB, mm. Russian, Soviet stuff, I think that would be awesome. Kind of like what they're doing with the Winter Soldier right now in that in the yeah. miniseries. I love that. Doing. That yeah. book's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that book having, is so good. Having her in that role, showing you know, instead of being like, "Oh, I did this and I did that, and I've got to make up for it and you know, clear my ledger," which I wish they never said that in the movie. I wish they never <laughs> said it. It pops up everywhere. Such a good yeah. line in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. Until it was repeated fifty times. Yeah. Um, I, I I think a Black Widow solo book of her as a Soviet agent would be awesome. It'd be different. There were, there were, there were tons of old minis mm-hmm. way back, and even one with a second Black Widow, a blonde young yeah. lady who yeah. was the new recruit, and there was a George Perez set from uh, Marvel Fanfare, I guess it was. So there were probably 10 of those mm-hmm. that may be afraid to revisit that, but I agree with Marla. I'd, I'd 
snap that up in a second. It'd be yeah. cool to see a Black Widow in the vein of the Winter Soldier, how they're they're doing the the bitter march. It could yeah. be, you know, getting the red out yeah. or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Oh, see her, have her show up the way she did initially in Iron Man, mm. in yeah. a dress with yeah. a pillbox hat with the little veil where she was the Black Widow, yeah. in mm. essence. That would be yeah. very, very cool. Um, show it, her with Hawkeye then, too. You'd see yeah. the beginning of all sure. that. It reminds me, it, honestly, it reminds me of, it's like a very different book, but the same problem I have with New Avengers. Which is like, I, how many times are you going to destroy another planet? You know, how many, like, how yeah. much incursion are we, like, it's like, I, I, I love the idea of it. I just want to see it expanded and moved. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has, hasn't moved. Like, Black Widow, I would love to see it as a TV show. Like, I would watch that TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but as a comic, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I don't want to wait a month, like you said, for like what feels like the same story to me. No matter how stylishly it's drawn and written and how much I like the character, because all those things are there. You know, it, it's just like, the same, the same exact thing over and over again mm-hmm. as far as the quality goes. And I mean, look, it, it, I, uh, it's nice that it's, it's a quality book. I just wish there was some difference between the. It would, it would be neat if Marvel took a graphic novel approach to Black Widow mm-hmm. instead of individual issues. Right. Because uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they put out that Black Canary Zatanna graphic novel that was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. You know that that'll hold me over for another three months just being excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> if, if they made a little you know maybe twice a year or three times a year black widow graphic novel i think that would be that'd be that hit the spot for this character yeah absolutely absolutely make sure you get phil noto again too yeah you you, you have (laughs) that spot in his schedule so yeah (laughs) all right mara it's it's your inaugural inaugural lightning round i said it right the second time (laughs) um okay all right you ready you have three minutes on the clock mara and i'm gonna try go Okay, um, I caught up on Madame Frankenstein this week. I'm not exactly sure what I'm reading. I don't know if I like it or yet, or not yet. I'm still going to read issue three when it comes out next month. Um, I don't know if y'all have been reading The Woods, but it's been pretty good. Uh, it's not as expo- exposition heavy as I want it to be, but as far as where the characters are at this point in the story, I think it's going to be okay. Um, this particular one is about a bunch of high school students who are at their high school and all of a sudden they're not. They're, their high school has been transported to some moon on some planet and they don't even know what's going on. So a lot of heavy sci-fi elements to it. Uh, the sixth volume of Happy Marriage, which I've talked about on the show before, came out. That is a romance shoujo uh, manga. And it's about a woman who's married her boss and it's just drama 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 everywhere <laughs> it's great uh also this week um volume one of seraph of the end vampire reign it is a uh, a manga a new manga series from viz i never would have guessed from that name mara that it seraph was a manga. of the end <laughs> uh about kind of a dystopian future where everyone over the age of 13 dies vampires rise up um Main character was in an orphanage, and the vampires took over the orphanage and been using him as like a blood bank for all these years. And he wants to kill all the vampires, so lots of action. And finally, for me, other than my big pick of the week, is a new um, volume from an old series called Millennium Snow, and it's a, another manga. It's a shoujo romance one, and it's by the same author as Iran High School Host Club. And she started this series and then went to go do Iran High School host club for several years and then she's finally come back to it seven eight nine ten years later so the third volume of that came out and it's really interesting to see the style changes between 
what she first started out with and then what she's where she is now. Um, so it's it's pretty neat. Uh, the series is about a woman who's about to die and she makes friends with a vampire who has yet to bind himself with a human for life and, you know, give them energy and life for the rest of eternity. So All right. I, I, I'm done. You did. You got 30 seconds left, too. Good job. Nice. Yes. Um, I think I've asked <laughs> this before, but what does shoujo mean? Um, show, in, in manga, um, it's directed towards different audiences. Okay. So shonen is directed mostly towards adolescent males. So it's a lot of sports manga, a lot of fighting, samurai stuff, things that young men would be interested in. And shoujo is directed more towards young women. Uh, so it's it's more romance, school drama, um, paranormal romance, things like that. Um, and then there's also manga that's directed towards adult men and adult women that are more mature in nature. Mm-hmm. And there's kids manga too. So they, they're really open to getting everybody in the world to read manga. Now, is there much crossover between the audiences <laughs> for the various books? Sorry, my phone froze on the timer. <laughs> so it won't turn off. It just, the alarm just keeps going off and off. Yeah. Um, yes, actually, I, I love, um, I mean, Seraph of the End is a shonen manga. It's heavy on the, the killing and the vampires. I yeah, think, and, yeah. And things. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so for me as an audience member, I, I enjoy both the, the manga directed towards men and the manga directed towards women. I have met a couple guys who read shoujo manga, mm. read the girls manga, because that's where you're going to get a lot of your slice of life um, mm-hmm. comedies. I so. loved your unabashed enthusiasm for uh, for manga. I think it's great. Uh, it's it's great. I mean, no, it's, just, it's it's in I'm your voice when you talk about it. You're like, ah, oh, I love it so good. <laughs> it's fantastic. I can't help it. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I I I applaud you. I think it's great. Oh, and um, Seraph of the End, the the volume one that came out, I did um, Manga Monday on it. Mm. So there's a little bit more written about it on the site if you're interested. Awesome. That's at com, guys. Go check it out. Yeah. Mars articles, you actually make me want to read it. I was actually in Fourth World the other day, and I was looking at their giant wall of manga, and I was yeah. like, I almost, so texted you, I almost texted you, Mars, and be like, what should I buy? I saw the uh, All You Need Is Kill trade at Barnes & Noble the other day. Yeah, but that's the graphic novel, right? Not the manga? Yes. The manga no, the no, it's not the manga. It yeah. was the graphic novel. Yeah. I didn't pick it up. Yeah. Um, I picked up something else. Spoiler, that's my, my, my pick of the week. Not the graphic novel, but the manga. All right, cool. Oh, good. We get to talk about it. Cool. Awesome. Um, all right, Steve, lightning round time. Let's go. You ready? Yep. You have three minutes on the clock. All right. And lightning round, go. Magneto from Mr. Cullen Bunn, Gabriel Hernandez Walta on art, and Jordi Belair on colors. Uh, mine got a little rained on because I left <laughs> it in the bathroom next to the shower. Hooray. Uh, Magneto's been a lot of fun. It's awesome. I, I like it. it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying this like super dark side of Magneto, how he's kind of broken off from the rest of the X-Men and he's gone to kind of soul search and do his own thing. Um, it's a lot more violent than I anticipated it being, but I'm, I'm really kind of enjoying that. And uh, not to give too much away, but in this latest issue, he's made a friend. <laughs> and this friend uh, has an offer that he can't refuse. It's time for Magneto to stop looking for the little man, start looking for the big man, and do some damage. <laughs> uh, really good book. If you're not reading it, definitely check it out. Uh, I got to catch up with Southern Bastards by Jason Aaron and art by Jason Latour. 
Uh, this book is really cool. Yeah, it's this awesome. book is really cool. It's um, like down south, um, son uh, of a, a father that was kind of a lawman in his in his town and stayed around forever, and he ruled the town with a wooden stick, literally. And his son goes back to to claim his belongings and such. And there's this really, really super sweet, like, just down-home cooking, gritty-ass football, nasty kids, nasty town, mangy Mm -hmm. dogs, just that whole vibe and that whole southern feel to it. And there's even a little bit of, like, fortuitous supernatural stuff going on, Just just a tad. Um, I'm a huge fan of books that kind of do that, like coming around full circle and have foreshadowing and then really, really deliver. And in issue number two, the final page or the final moments of issue number two, um, just really, really drove home, uh, the fact that I'm enjoying the hell out of this story so far. Um, really, really great storytelling, really atmospheric and very cool. And my last lightning round book, uh, because I'm loving it so much, is Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man number two. Uh, Just wanted to say I'm so, so, so happy that this book has continued past the ultimate universe with the it ending or not ending or whatever the hell it is that they were doing. And they kept some people. They got rid of some people. Um, This book is really weird because it's bringing things into play that I didn't think that we were going to get to to way later. But it manages to build on its on a character that I've loved for the past year and a half, however long Miles has been around. And we're about to bring a couple more people in on the secret. And some people uh, or person has returned and is making things rather difficult for Miles. And uh, we don't know if this person is real. We don't know if this person is perhaps a clone and we're going to figure that out in the next couple of issues <laughs> i hope not bad um did you see brian michael bendis at the sony press conference i did and can i tell you i've never seen brian michael, <laughs> brian michael bendis until e3 oh really and whoa he, he looked like a gangster yeah <laughs> he was wearing like a three-piece suit he looked wow. like kingpin <laughs> he looked like kingpin yeah yeah um yeah i'd never i'd, I'd seen you know little headshots yeah. of him for cons and stuff but i'd never actually seen him and um, it was really interesting to watch the internet react. I say yeah. internet, I mean Twitter. Yeah. React to Brian Michael Bendis because there's a lot of people that are into gaming that aren't necessarily into comics. They don't always cross over. No. It happens, but not always. Yeah. Um, so you had all of these reactions. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Bruh, 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 bruh. <laughs> and then I come past um, Kelly Sue DeConnick's thing, and she's like, Uncle Brian! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, there's my people. Yeah. I'm like, I'm happy to see him. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm excited for her powers to, to be coming to the... Um, to the PlayStation, yeah. uh, the Sony Network, and I'm very happy that I'm going to get to watch it for free. Yeah, because you're a plus member. Because I'm yeah. a plus member. Yeah, it's, it's good. That was a good announcement. It's nice to have, you know, a little, little make me feel like I'm a little bit of a part of a club. Yeah. Get my free games, get my powers. Yeah. Um, is it going to be an animated show? No, it's live action. Ooh. It's live action. They've been trying to make that show for a long time. It was, yeah. it was a pilot F- at FX for like years. They shot it, then they reshot it. It's just been everywhere. But it's greenlit. They said it's coming in December or something like that. Wow. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, it was just such a weird cross section of like the two worlds in which I'm major a part yeah, it was, of. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, this is very weird that people like on Giant Bomb are talking about Brian Michael Bendis right <laughs> That's now. That's where I was watching it. Yeah, too. yeah. I was like, this is very weird. He comes out and he's like, hey! And yeah, I'm yeah. like, whoa, yeah. what is happening right now? <laughs> um, 
That's the only E3 talk you hear on this show, but tune in on Thursday for a show all about E3 from Talking Games. Yeah, you guys, we're going to we're going to spill about yeah. every every announcement that we can fit into the time that we're allotted. Uh, we're just going to talk about games, games, games from E3. We'll be recording that tomorrow night and it'll be available at noon on Thursday. Yeah. Let's check wait, check that. It's going to be not, not not much to talk about. Just a, a few news items. Nothing We're, happened. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. ever happens. <laughs> um, hey, how supernatural does Southern Bastards get? Are we monsters, ghosts, no. hauntings? It's nothing. No, 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 no supernatural. No, oh, okay. not, 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 not supernatural. Yeah. It's more um, creepy. No, um, let's just uh, without spoiling. I know. I'm trying not to. Uh, it, some someone when someone who's passed away when you feel that they're they're speaking to you or they're sending you a sign that kind of thing okay um you know there are times where my my sister my my father's passed away and one of the big things that uh is the the song freebird that everybody yells and whatever mm. my sister is convinced that whenever freebird comes onto the radio that it's my dad looking out for her or trying to send her a message within mm-hmm. that moment. I don't have the heart to tell my sister that Free Bird is like one of the most played songs <laughs> on the radio in the history of music. Uh, I let her have it. But it's still a very, very sweet, you know, it's a sweet mm-hmm. notion. And if, if that that does Gets something her through, for her, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I have my own my own little things. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, this past Tuesday was a huge, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I was a, a ball of tears uh, <laughs> at that show. Um, but yeah, it... it like I said, the people that you loved telling you, giving you a sign, okay. telling you what you should do. Mm-hmm. No, I was just wondering, has it turned into Herschel Lewis's 2000 Maniacs? No. You know, no. One no, of those there's no, there's no, no risen from the dead. No, no, no. nothing like that. Okay. No ghosts, no monsters, just uh, echoes. Yeah, yeah. Echoes, oh. from, echoes from the afterlife. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Absolutely. Coin it. Yeah. You should. Yeah, put that on a t-shirt. It's actually pretty refreshing that there is no supernatural elements in it. Like I love yeah. that stuff more than anything in the world, but there's so many books that deal with that kind of stuff. That and dealing with the South, you could have easily gone that route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, but this is just like there's some really shitty people. Yeah, like that's yeah. kind of what it is, and I, I like that. I, I like that a lot about the book. Uh, Mara, what were you gonna say? It's very southern. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for the validity of of the environment. Have I you been reading like the, it? I read the first issue. Gotcha. I feel uh, like the trade should come done. with some cornbread. <laughs> or at least a recipe so you can make yeah. your own fried right? cornbread in the back absolutely. everybody's sending the, they can write in okay to print my cornbread <laughs> recipe yeah, absolutely <laughs> absolutely um so cool that that's our that's our lightning rounds um you didn't, you didn't go i didn't go that's right i don't have much to say this week about any books <laughs> as far as lightning round goes but i guess i'll go um, <laughs> uh all right it's um, cold man Oh, that's, me, not, that's not reader's fatigue. Let me ask you a question. It's actually yeah. not. I actually read everything. I had very little books to read this week and just was not in love with like any of them. Are you going to talk about Original Sin? I, you know, I, my, I've Is it gone, not in your books of the week? No. Okay. okay I've I just gone, wanted to ask. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on how I felt like when I texted you and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I had time to think about it <laughs> and it, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to start my lightning round. Lightning round. Go. Um, all right. So the few things that I read this week that I just kind of want to go over. Um, Green Arrow, number 32, I believe, is the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the beginning of a new arc, and it's being built as kind of a place you can jump on if, if, it's a, if you wanted to jump on to Green Arrow at this point. I should do that. The Outsiders War and all that stuff that was going on in that whole story of the Outsiders has been going on since Jeff Miller took over, I believe, in issue 17 or something like that. So over a year of stuff is finally over. Um, 
and it was it, it is the first issue and it's introductory but being that i've been reading the book since that issue it was less enjoyable for me because i feel like i was getting a lot of information that i didn't i didn't really mm. need so much uh but it still looks amazing um and it seems like we're going into kind of a battle for you know seattle type of situation where when oliver was away kind of doing all this stuff but with his past these criminal organizations kind of rose up a little bit in in seattle in 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 his absence and now he's coming back to find things that are a little bit out of control. So uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of big, uh, uh, some very cool like um, street level city action, which I think will be cool because it's, it's a nice change up. The all the stuff on the uh, on the island, all the stuff he was doing before, is really really great um, and really kind of mythological. But this stuff seems um, to bring it back down a little more street level, which I think is pretty cool. Obviously for that character, it's it's fitting. Um, a Loki agent of Asgard, number five. Uh, where we have it's a heist issue or um, uh, Loki Thor and, and a few compatriots um, are trying to break into the vaults of, of Asgard to um, free uh, their, their most dangerous or, you know, their most secure prisoner. And like all things with Loki, who they kind of think is the most secure prisoner, isn't necessarily the prisoner that he's talking about. Uh, but it's very funny, um, but also very dramatic. There's a lot of stuff here, a lot of callbacks to the Kieran Gillen stuff, a lot of playing again with the identity of who you know Loki is and what it means to be evil, and can you change your your future? Um, just a ton of fun. The art is really really nice. Um, it's interesting because at the end of this book. Basically, what, what, this I think this is cool because I don't have to read two books now. But basically, for this original Sin tie-in book they're doing with Loki, Thor, and Angela, mm. Loki Age of Asgard is kind of going on hiatus for a oh. few months. So I mean, um, they're still the same team. Um, you know, uh, Ewing and Gabbert, Garbert are still doing um, doing the art and writing. They're going on and off with uh, Jason Aaron on the Thor book. So they're still doing the book, but it's folding into this mini series. So I don't have to buy Thor Loki, uh, Loki agent of Asgard and this mini series. It's just all the mini series, which I think is actually a, a good move. Yeah. It's I a love nice move. Thor wearing an aha shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. It's been a really great series, I think. And I think Al Ewing has begun to show himself as a kind of a breakout writer uh, yeah. at, at Marvel. All right. So that's it for my lightning round. Right there. There we go. I uh, love that cover. It's sort of like Loki's 11. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's exactly what the issue is like. Um, very, very cool stuff. Very, very cool stuff. Um, and you also get some answers from some past issues, which I think Ooh. was also pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree about Al Ewing. Mighty Avengers just kills every single issue. Yeah. And who knew? I, I didn't know his work before, I don't think. Yeah, no, he had done very little. You know, he had done a couple, I think, fill-ins on, I think, Captain Marvel. Like the the um, Infinity Captain Marvel issues, I believe, for Al Ewing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really that's the only thing I knew about him at all before that. Um, so yeah, it was it, it's really nice. Actually, no, it was the Age of Ultron. Oh, Age of Ultron. Yes, Age of Ultron. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, so uh, we actually had a question, and that's tied oh. tied in right here. Shane Donovan. He had a I very, like how you do that. Very long question, but um, talking about what he should keep and what he should drop. But part of that question was, and what Avengers series do you think he should get into? Mighty. Um, and Mighty I'm, Avengers. Look, you can't start right now with Hickman. Right. You, you're going to have to wait till he's either off the book mm-hmm. or you get to the eight-month skip-ahead that's coming. <laughs> and then, then you're on your own. Mighty Avengers is just a hoot every, every issue. It is funny, <laughs> dramatic, emotional, mm. filled with in-jokes and weird references. If you're into Marvel's history, there's tons of wacky stuff in it. But if you're not, they don't play as if, ha-ha, look what I just did. It just just flows it just absolutely flows 
So I, that is my favorite Avengers book on the shelf. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not even reading it, and I would probably recommend the same thing if somebody asked me what Avengers book to pick up, because I've mm-hmm. lost my fire for the Hickman stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't... The thing is, like, and because of I got burned out on that, I, I think what they're doing, the idea of what they're doing, what they did with um, Arena and what they're doing with Undercover is cool. They're doing year-long arcs. Um, I think it's it's Sam Humphreys. Is that, is that who the writer is? I yeah. can't remember. Um, or is no, it's Dennis Hopeless. That's who the writer is. Oh those. yeah, I'm sorry. Dennis Hopeless are in those, doing year long arcs and then just starting over again with kind of the same characters but in a different area. I think it's a cool idea. I'd never read. I read the first issue of Arena and liked it, but never kept going because mm. I had just so many other Avengers stuff to read. Yep. So you know, I think that might be something. It, it, he mentioned that it might be something to check out if you're interested in like those ideas and those stories and those kind of younger characters because he deals with more of the younger characters. Mm-hmm. Um, as Bob was saying, Mighty Avengers. Um, I guess if you want something a little bit more pure, mm-hmm. you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want something super weird, definitely check out Oleshkot's, uh Secret Avengers. I have been love, love, loving that book. That book has been hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like. Spider foes of uh, superior foes of Spider Man type of humor, mm. just really bizarre, funny, entertaining stuff. If you want something a little bit more, you want Avengers, but you want something off the cuff, definitely check out Secret Avengers. It's very good. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, if you want to check out something that's already done that you that you, that's collected that you could read, I would. And he, he says he's been trying to pick up trades and, and stuff like that. I'd say pick up Young Avengers if that's something oh, you want to oh, check yeah. out. Um, he has another question too kind of wrapped into this he says uh, he's been organizing his books he lives in a little New York City apartment so he only has a little, very little room and Mara I wanted to ask you part of this question um, he noticed that he only uh, he only has trades of Catwoman Batwoman Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and which wondering one of those they should you should drop to make room for different uh, and more trades so what do you think Mara I couldn't get into Catwoman and that was right at the beginning of New 52 um, there were a lot of things working against that comic. I couldn't tell you how it turned out. Um, and frankly, I, I mean, I just, like I said, I couldn't get into it. I could care less. Um, Batwoman, I dropped after um, Williams and Blackman left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was so, it was so strange getting towards the end of their, their time on it. Like things just didn't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um it was like they were purposely putting out a crappy book towards the end. Like, we don't care. We're just going to do this. So I, I, I don't know how the new Batwoman stuff is, is going. But for me, it was a matter of time and space. So I had to drop that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do continue to pick up Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel. Uh, one, because I like Wonder Woman. And, you know, I, I need to know what's happening. <laughs> and Captain Marvel, because it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, it's hard to tell somebody else what to get rid of. Right. Um, but you just give suggestions. You gave some suggestions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, just, just think about, you know, when you buy it, do you immediately read it or mm-hmm. do you put it away? Right. And I think that's a good, good indicator of whether or not you should continue buying it. How right. long does it take for you to actually read it? Is it something worth having? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um all right, cool. So since we've been doing this a little differently, we've been mixing in questions and books, we're going to take our break now. We'll come back and do our books of the week and mix in some more huh. listener hmm. questions.
All right, we are back. And we're going to be doing our books of the week and a couple more listener questions mm. as well. Bob, let's get right into it. Okay. Let's start out. What's What are your books of the week? What should we start with? What do you think? I think we should start with those big crazy books you have. Oh, the there. big crazy ones. Okay, that is Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot from 1995, two oversized tabloid issues. For anyone who's a fan of Pacific Rim or Astro Boy or Godzilla and maybe, I guess, this new Big Hero 6 coming out, mm-hmm. it's written by Frank Miller, amazingly enough, this crazy sort of kid's book, which is about a little boy robot with red hair and a giant sort of gigantor-looking transformery whatever. Is the robot a misogynist? <laughs> no. No, he isn't. And that's what's so amazing. It is not that Frank Miller. This, this is from Dark Horse back when they were doing the Legend imprint. Mm. And the art's by Jeff Darrow. Now, he and Frank Miller won an Eisner Award for Hard Boiled. And Jeff Darrow ended up doing work for the Wachowskis. Am I saying oh, that correctly? Yes, he, he helped design Speed Racer and things oh, wow. like that. Oh, awesome. So that's what's going on here. So what we have in this story is, as a result of an, of an attempt to recreate the primordial ooze, mm-hmm. what happens instead is there's a gigantic, intelligent, fire-breathing monster created. Mm, okay. Who, of course, attacks Tokyo. Right. Yeah. Because that's what you do. And, si- and since he has other powers, he, with his drool, can turn human beings into <laughs> monsters. Nice. <laughs> nice. And so, you know, he, he has mental powers, too, that go into everyone's head. So he's sort of screaming, his, we are the stuff of your legends, the ancient voices, his, your dragons of myth. And he wanders around making these pronouncements all, all along. And the art is some of the most detailed stuff I have absolutely just mm-hmm. ever seen. And it, it really needs this, this format. Yeah, yeah, wow. To show it off. These have been reprinted in one instance in black and white without any words, <laughs> which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, uh, the army, the Japanese army, of course, goes out to fight the monsters. And as in every Godzilla movie, they lose. <laughs> and they lose badly. So they turn to the prototype of this little boy robot, Rusty. And he goes flying off to fight the monster. And he gets his head handed to him, basically. He gets stomped literally flat. <clears throat> gets just crushed by the monster. So then in issue two, we go to Big Guy. He's the American robot. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, he actually is named Dwayne, but we never know if there's actually a Dwayne inside. We think so because the monster seems to feel that, but we never get to see him. But he actually rises from out of the ocean next to an aircraft carrier in a, in a pretty impressive set of shots. <laughs> And then fires his way into the city, actually throws bombs with his hands on him, (laughs) flies the ship through his head. And, you know, spoiler alert, he does beat the monster at the end, (laughs) except he fires missiles through his nose and blows his head off. But he regrows his head and comes back after him, as (laughs) monsters do. So then there's a second ending. This is just a wonderful slice of old-fashioned comic book storytelling done in a very new way because this sort of art is just, you know, you don't see this anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what, what, this is, what would you describe this as, Steve? It's not manga exactly. It is it nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, ever since you showed it to me the other night, I've been trying to put my finger on what it reminds me of, and I still have not come up with it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art is super, super, super detailed, though. I mean, you can see every scale mm-hmm. and every bit of uh, battle damage and blood and debris. The, the, and the suns and the wires behind. And yet it doesn't ever seem cluttered, despite everything being on a page. Mm-hmm. Every window ledge is drawn here. With mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Darrow is just uh, really incredible. Again, if you're a fan of giant monster movies, 
this you should take a shot at. I'm not sure how I'm, these are available fairly cheaply. Still, these were four or five dollars back when they came out from mm. Dark Horse. There was a cartoon show I discovered. Oh, really? Which I'd never saw. It ran for half a season on Fox. Hmm. Really? In the '90s, and it looks like they really cheapened it up a little bit. Certainly, they're not going to have this detail mm-hmm. in hmm. the artwork. But find yourself if you want to have just a blast of a time. You enjoyed Godzilla. Try. Big guy and Rusty the boy robot, who you wouldn't imagine Frank Miller could write this, but he knocks <laughs> knocks this out of the park. So the cartoon wasn't as good as Beanie and Cecil. Nothing's as good as Beanie and Cecil. <laughs> He's like, I'm a fucking robot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> yeah, who he was still in the midst of doing all the Sin City stuff. Actually, uh, I, I discovered not knowing this until doing some research. Go ahead. It reminds me of that book that I read. It was one of my one shots of the year last year, Gamma. Mm. That's what it reminds oh, me of. Mm-hmm. Totally. Thank God I figured that out. That mm. would have burned me up the whole <laughs> night. I would have lost sleep. <laughs> Frank Miller drew Jeff Darrow into Sin City. He's Kevin the Cannibal. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That was his little in-joke. So, anyway, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Do yourself a favor. You can get these giant editions. This is the way to go. Mm. Um, I'm sure... Oh, actually, I probably... Online, maybe somewhere? Maybe. 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 I maybe. Don't, we, we never know. <laughs> one never knows. Anyway, that's number one. Number two is actually, it's a number four. It's Ghost Number Four, also from Dark Horse. Uh, it's Kelly Sudaconic's last issue on this with art by Geraldo Borges. Now, this last issue of this relaunch, it, this started with uh, Dark Horse Presents. Right, yeah. In 2012, yeah. and then they collected those as Ghost Zero. And this sort of finishes up the story that really began with this new arc, but some of it goes all the way back to that. It's the story of, for the most part, a character named James Barrow, who we were introduced back then. He was a childhood friend of Eliza Cameron Ghost, mm. uh, whose possessed body was used in the evil plans of Dr. Linda October and the demonic mayor of Chicago. You've got to watch for those demonic <laughs> yes, mayors of, of Chicago. They've had a few, <laughs> mostly named Daly. No, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. Shouldn't say that, or it's not, not nice at all. Anyway, Eliza's uh, friends... Vaughn Barnes and Tommy, who found her, you know, pulled her out of the afterlife, and uh, Tommy's girlfriend, Sloane, are going through James Barrow's storage unit in the follow-up for last issue, and they discover a, a file of, about Eliza and an unread eulogy that he wrote for her when she died before. So we flash back to a story of them as children, and James had a big crush on Eliza, and they're running around out in the in the forest playing superhero games. She's sort of super Eliza. Actually, has a white cape on, which is just really sort of cool. And she's the leader of this group. It's the summer after one of their really good friends disappeared to try to get away from her abusive father. So Eliza's now taking over the lead in this. And what you end up having though is that story bookended by Eliza on the streets of Chicago trying to protect. Chicago's women from two horrible sexual predators. So you, you see her as a child and as a grown-up doing the same sort of things. And I gotta say, I've been reading this since the beginning, since Eric Luke did this back at Comics Greatest World in '93, and this is one of the best single issues that the series has had so far. This might be—it seems to me almost the first time I've met Eliza. You're getting to see what prompted all these things that happened. You get a glimpse of this young girl who really, even then, had this sense of justice. She she has a just to guard this young girl, Hadley, who we thought had disappeared. And you, you, there's a sadness that permeates all these things that go on. You go from these kids playing to then something bad starts to happen. And you're, it's just really the shift 
just very, very affecting. And you're hoping for a different outcome than you're going to get. But since you hmm. know what's going to happen to Eliza, for instance, moving forward, the back and forth of it is just it's just a grabber. Now, what, what you hear, you see, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to give anything away. Someone's going to read this. But there's the, the loss of compassion evident in some of these characters and how it flashes forward into Eliza in the past, the present condition she's in, and then it, it follows into you flash forward to the finish of the reading of this eulogy hmm. and how it affects then these young people, Tommy and Sloan, who are now going to be together in the future and how compassion manifests itself through this. And like, this ends with, with them finishing the reading. Uh, Vaughn, uh, I'd bet my life, talking about Eliza's end, because again, this is her eulogy. I'd bet my life she went down fighting, and that wherever her spirit is today, she's still looking out for all of us. In the midst of this series, sh- series of shots of her, she's picked up these two mooks. <laughs> and, um. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be reading this beyond Kelly Sue's writing on the book? Um, Here's the thing. This is this issue is just so beautiful and emblematic of all the work she's done. Now he he co-wrote the first three in the original series. He is a very good writer. This is a mic drop. <laughs> she she has really left him with a hard act to follow. I think he's going to do it. I love the character and have all along. I've got all the bunch of the omnibus and all the single issues. Mm-hmm. I'll certainly give him a try. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes, but. This is issue four. These will be collected more than likely in a, in a trade just finishing off Kelly mm-hmm. Sue's run. Uh, this is amazing. There was a little bit of a delay in between. There were some art issues. You know, we had an artist leave in between, but uh, Geraldo Borges does a great job here. And this is buy the trade if you haven't before. Buy the last one. Go buy some Eric Luke Ghost Originals. It's a character that fell away. In the midst of all that bad girl stuff, she was got pushed to the side, but it was a very deep book then. Mm-hmm. They just gave her a you know goofy looking outfit. I mean, it was like a bustier and a cape, but there was that was explained at the time. Mm-hmm. She was doing it to attract attention in a way that made sure she could like shoot people in the head. <laughs> they were bad people. They deserved that. Yeah. All Schwarzenegger <laughs> line. For them. They were all bad. <laughs> they were all bad. Uh, Ghost number four from Dark Horse out last week, and it's a must. So, but between the time that the Dark Horse presents happened, where she was, other was the character ever gone for any amount of time? Character was gone between 2001, where there was a miniseries with Batgirl, the okay. Cassandra Kane Batgirl, mm-hmm. and they'd done one with the Shadow, I think. Character was gone for a very long time, and Dark Horse wanted to get back into superheroes mm-hmm. and decided, okay, within Presents, we'll see. Right. And it took off. They found the right writer. I mean, mm-hmm. Kelly Sudakonic has found ways to breathe life into characters that were dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. That was terrible. Didn't even, <laughs> didn't even mean to say that. I did. <laughs> characters that have been not handled well and <laughs> and ghost without eric luke around was still interesting but it, the creator's voice was gone mm-hmm. and she found that and then she's added layers to it here beyond what was there before i'm going to go back and reread the old ones now with this new information and it's going to change the way i read those mm-hmm. it's sort of like you see wicked and you want to watch the wizard of oz right. again yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well, that, Bob, actually ties into a, a listener question that oh. I wanted to ask. And I think you're the one who's really going to be able to answer this question. So I figure I'd bring it up now. This is from uh, Infinity Watcher on Twitter. It says, which comic book character would you like to see get his or her its own book that is not currently in, any, in, in comics anymore? Um, for me, it would be, have to be Adam Warlock. 
That's a heck of a pick. <laughs> yeah, he's not at all. We, we, we've seen Doctor Strange. Yeah, would be, but I think he, he's saying he's, not, he's at all. Like, not, not at all. A, not any, in any books. Wow. Well, we brought back Hellcat already, which would be a safe <laughs> answer. <laughs> Adam Warlock. I don't know how you top that. <laughs> in the Marvel Universe, DC Universe. But right now, okay, as a DC set of characters, I'd love to see the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mine would have been, obviously, until... A month ago, Wally West, that would have been fine. Yeah. He's back now. But that's all I can really think of. I don't have enough uh, back back history in, in these universes hmm. to have I've, a love of a character that's gone. Mara? I've got one. Um, I'd love to see Donna Troy in yeah. Oh, yeah. a book that's only about Amazon and living on the mascara. Hmm. We've got so many Batman, Superman books, spinoffs of those two characters. It would be awesome to have one that just shows this utopian matrix patriarchy life starring her cool and how she you know comes back and forth between it's actually uh, that actually was the follow-up question by an infinity watcher which was what character would you like to see in their own title the misadventures of bizarro gamora and angela's cosmic detective agency something of that nature so you just answered that question (laughs) absolutely I, I, I could watch a i could i could read a punisher doctor strange team up book like we're getting an original sin because just such a bizarre it's a weird yeah, team well, up, right? Such a weird two people to be together, but it's really cool. Like I like their I like their dynamic together. Mm-hmm. It's it's really really cool. Um, all right, Steve, how about you? Yeah. You have a character that you? I don't want to see anybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I know I had one in my head and I lost it. It'll come back to me. All right, I'll blurt it out at some point. So while you're thinking about that, I'll also about tell us about your books of the week. I will do that. Uh, one of my favorite books of the week was something that I was very curious about, but did not know what to expect, is Ted McKeever's The Superannuated Man, number one, from Image and Shadowline. I guess that's their... What is that? That's the uh, Kirkman imprint, okay. I think. I think that's his. No, Shadow... No, that's Skyward, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Because hmm. there's like all those little imprints. I'm not sure which one Shadowline is. All right. I can never remember. Well, Shadowline's freaking- with Morning Glories. Yeah, what I, yeah, it is, but I it, it's because each one of them have like their own like thing, or it's not it's not Kirkman. I think it's one of the original guys, like uh, Valentino. Valentino, maybe it might be his, like one of the original. Well, he did guys. Shadow Force, was that maybe his? Yeah, Shadow yeah. Hawk, Shadow Hawk. So maybe it is that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's one of those original guys, but um, freaking Golden Age size book. Yes, a um, <laughs> little, little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you're actually spiking it. Am I? Yeah. But it feels so. Well, but you're spiking it. I, I feel like I'm, I'm talking into a sock. <laughs> All right, um, that's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I never read anything of Ted McKeever's. I've I've seen some of his stuff. I think Miniature Jesus mm-hmm. was yep. his. Okay, so I've seen his stuff in the stars, but I never actually took the dive. Um, and then upon talking to some of the guys from 44 Flood and interviewing Menton and all of them, uh, whenever I ask them who their influences are and who they enjoy, they always always bring up Ted McKeever's name. And so I heard that Superannuated Man was coming out, didn't know what to expect. I knew that his stuff was kind of strange, but I like strange. So I'm going to go and check it out. And uh, another thing that I tend to enjoy is there was a book from last year from Brian Azzarello called Spaceman Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about it was that it had its own sense of language. The people that lived within this story, they talked in a very particular way that is unlike, you know, the way that, that we talk. So this book is, is full of that stuff. You got these two little dudes, these almost like amphibious looking creatures sitting on a pier 
And uh, just going to read out a quick little page. He goes, Skeeter, don't lie. You got to have some faith in your pal here, fool. Be trusting me. Nah, dude, about that, but be nothing. I'm telling you real. Take, the, uh, take a peep up there. And what they're talking about is this giant, giant, massive ship that is in this harbor, this dilapidated ship with all these like broken masts and webbing and strange barnacles and things that are attached to it. And the deal is, is that inside of this harbor, there's kind of like a like a local legend or a myth of, of this, this ghost uh, guy that kind of guards the ship and nobody goes near it. And uh, you come to find out that it's the superannuated man and he pops up out of the water, scares the living shit out of these two kids. And you come to find out that the ghost that everybody's afraid of is just a mannequin inside of where he goes and hangs his hat. Um, Go a couple of pages in and lo and behold, another thing that uh, gets me excited is a quote from Hunter S. Thompson. So that's another way to get Steve to buy your book mm-hmm. is to have uh, either quotes or references to one of my favorite writers of all time. And uh, it's a strange book. There's these like jackal people and these super weird, like I said, amphibious looking creatures. And there's this huge whale, like almost like if a whale had tumors upon tumors upon tumors growing on its back and it decided to wreak havoc on the town that it, it kind of like comes into the harbor and it's going to just start to eat people. It's a very, very strange setup for a book. There are things in the shadows. There are things in the alleyways doing away with the, the denizens of this place. And uh, superannuated man is going to get to the bottom of what's happening in his little harbor town because as much as he tries to be the the ghoul or the ghost or the the ghost story about town, he doesn't like the idea that something else is coming into his town and is not only frightening people, taking the focus off of him, um, it's doing away with the people that are telling his story. And he doesn't like that. So he's going to go out into the town and go and find out what's up with this uh, this creature that is terrorizing the town. The um, the book is done in black and white. Um, I'm kind of iffy on black and white. I go back and forth, but this book is gorgeous. Uh, it's super super detailed. The lines are very thick, and uh, you just you get a real sense of this bizarre world. There's all these like little posters with these strange sayings. You get a almost a sense of that maybe like a, a, a radiation or some kind of a bomb was dropped on this place a long time ago. And these are the people that are left from that time. And just everything underneath the water has transformed from the radiation. The people have transformed and the superannuated man might be the only person left that actually resembles a human being. Mm. Um, Super, super intriguing stuff. It's uh, it's bizarre. I don't know that everybody will dig it. It's kind of one of those things that you just have to run with. But uh, I found it to be enjoyable, and I'm definitely going to be picking up another issue. I don't know how long it is. It might be four or five issues long, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm digging it. It's it's bizarre. Yeah, I, I read the first issue, two issues of Miniature Jesus. Yeah. Um and I agree with you. I think that the art is gorgeous, but it was just too fucking weird for me. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. it was just too. It was just there was too much weird. Not enough anything that was not weird, like mm-hmm. to bring me in. So I just I couldn't connect with it. Yeah, I mean, I I've said a lot about. I've almost said too much. I I'm trying not to spoil anything. There are even weirder things right. that go on. <laughs> um, this is this is me. 
taking the advice of friends and and you know like i said when i'm when i'm interviewing the guys from 44 flood his name it doesn't matter who i interview whether it's ben whether it's dave kazra menton they always bring this guy up Mm -hmm. and so i said you know what four dollars let's dive in let's go and uh i i like this has been like the year of weird for mm-hmm. me, I, I've really been gravitating towards the weird stuff, and this definitely falls into that category. Did mm-hmm. they mention the name of the town? Because I'm, they might have. Because some of this setup is very reminiscent of the very famous, well, to old folks like me, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Shadow over Innsmouth. I don't. Where know. It, there, it's a harbor town that has run on. Hard times in the fishing industry, and one of their village leaders decides that the way to solve that is to pray to Dagon, who is one of the dark old ones. And what ends up happening is the people of Innsmouth end up mating with people who live under the water, but their heads change and they end up having fins and go back into the water to live. It could be. I'm guessing from one of the posters on the wall that uh, the town is called Blackwater. I could be wrong, but um, that I mean, what you're describing fits this place mm-hmm. to a T. It could have been inspired by that, for all I know. Yeah. Uh, it's a great story to check out. It, there's actually action in it, which there isn't much in Lovecraft. There's more about mood. Uh, Stuart Gordon, who made Reanimator, mm-hmm. th- that's what he wanted to do as a follow-up, was The Shadow of Rinsmith, and he had Bernie Wrightson do the storyboards mm-hmm. and, and all the designs, and it never came because... The bands wanted something in the vein of Reanimator, so they made From Beyond. But years later, he came back to this project, and it came out as, as Dagon. Hmm. And it actually crosses some of that story with The Shadow of Rinsmith. It's one of the most faithful adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft to the screen. It is really, really, really creepy. Mm-hmm. And hmm. the, the guy he cast as a lead, his name is Ezra Gooden, who looks exactly like Jeffrey Coombs. Hmm. I mean, to, to a T. Interesting. So if you get a chance to find that one, if that's on a Netflix or something, it's called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. Cool. Uh, my, Sorry about that. I no, no, no. I that whole thing. No, that's awesome. No, I listen to the show about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do. I like learning mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so my other book of the week is, uh, it's called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Uh, it is written by ransom Riggs with art by cassandra jean this is uh this book actually uh miss peregrine's home for peculiar children when we went to new york city comic-con that first year the novel version the written novel version of this book was it debuted it came out um around that time and i mean you couldn't go anywhere in um the vendors area or even the main entrance they had one of those gigantic gigantic um you know, ad flags or whatever hanging from the ceiling. Mm. And it was one of those things that I passed again and again, and it looked cool. I really, I liked the photograph. I love like sepia toned, old timey, creepy kid photographs. Um, It's just, there's something about it, old horror movie type stuff that I really dig. And so I saw the image over and over and over again. And then I was in Barnes and Noble this past week and on the shelf, they had the novel and I'm like, Oh crap. Like there's that book that I saw at Comic-Con and lo and behold, there is now a graphic novel version of that first volume. And that's what I read this week. I read about five chapters of it so far. Um, It's beefy. It's the whole, it's the whole novel. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's got some, some weight to it. Um, It's about a kid named Jacob who is he has a very close relationship with his grandfather and his grandfather unfortunately is very old and throughout 
Jacob growing up, uh, his grandfather would tell him stories of this old orphanage that he grew up in uh, around the years of, of World War II called uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And eventually he left before this happened, but there was a bomb uh, during the war dropped on the home and everyone perished in, in the bomb blast with the exception of him. He got out. Uh, he ends up, you know, falling ill and he dies. I'm not spoiling anything. This is like in the first couple pages. Mm-hmm. Before he dies, he hands Jacob a letter and he basically says something to him that at first sounds extraordinarily cryptic. It, you know, the eagle flies at midnight mm-hmm. and go through the loop and look for the lions near the spot. All right, sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. My computer ran out of space, so we had to get rid of some files and start again. So, Steve, you were saying the eagle was flying at midnight. The eagle does fly at midnight. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he gets these weird instructions from his grandfather, and he also gets a letter. And so he starts to, you know, it it digs in his crawl a little bit. He was very close to his grandfather, and it becomes a mystery that that he... decides that he wants to solve. He has summers coming up and he needs something to do. So he, he basically finagles his way uh, into the township where this orphanage is still standing. It's, it's in, in ruins, but it's still there. So he's hoping he's doing like some kind of like bird watching project. Somebody's writing a book and he's going to take photos and the whole bit. And he manages to get back to this town and spend most of his days exploring the orphanage and, uh, he f- comes to he comes across a locked box. He opens up this locked box and the mystery just gets bigger and bigger and he starts asking, you know, questions around town and he comes to find out all this information about when the bomb was dropped, when everyone perished, how his grandfather got out. But it doesn't add up because the postmark on the letter that he was given doesn't correspond with the dates of the blast. So he starts to wonder how was this sent? How did this how did this end up in 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 my grandfather's possession? And let's just I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Things get really really weird from there. Mm-hmm. You come to find out that the people that his grandfather lived with, they're called the peculiar children. They have abilities and because of their abilities they might not necessarily be dead um and this is a story of his induction into the story what happened with them and how they how they exist outside of this story that's known throughout this town and throughout history and so much time has passed how have you stayed off the radar and how are you still around and how are you still who you are Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite fascinating. I was talking to my friend about it and I was actually a little bit pissed. She's like, Oh my God, that book was so awesome. And I'm like, Oh great. Really cool. She's like, but the ending, man, the ending sucked. And I'm like, why did you tell me that? Why'd you say that? That's not, you don't do That's not cool. She's like, no, 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 no. You might really like it. Just, just stop. Just shush. So, um, I have confidence in it that it's going to be um, a, a really, really cool book. Uh, like I said, I'm about five chapters into it. It's very intriguing. I like a good mystery, and I'm enjoying the atmosphere of the book. Um, the art by Cassandra Jean is 
very, very, it's funny that we have Mara on the show. It is extraordinarily uh, manga-ish, manga-ish. And uh, she pointed out to me, I mentioned that it was published by Yen Press, and Mara says that they publish many a manga. Is that true? Yes. Yes. There you go. In fact, I was looking through their list here. I'm like, yeah, this is a lot of manga on this site. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they, they published the, I think they published the uh, manga version of the Twilight books oh i didn't even know they had that Ooh. oh yeah they do of course they do oh yeah of course they do. <laughs> um one that of, does exist yeah. one of the cool um aesthetics about this book or the way that they have it set up is that um it is very manga-ish and it's that black and white manga where everything that's happening kind of in the now um like before he makes it to the orphanage all happens in black and white and upon visiting the orphanage it starts to change his world little by little and and as the mystery unfolds more and more color gets introduced into the story and then there are moments when they take the color away and it's completely in black and white again and i'm still i'm still reading so i'm still waiting to find out exactly what that's supposed to mean and how it works but um if you like like novel like graphic novelizations of of books or if you've read uh miss peregrine's home for peculiar children it's i mean it's really cool. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I haven't read many, you know, transfers from novel to comic book form, and I haven't read the novel. But from what I can tell, the majority of it is here, and the the author of the novel is the author of the graphic novel. He wrote this, so I would imagine it's just maybe a condensed version of the story. Mm. Um, there is a second volume of the novel out. I'm hoping that they do another one of these and I'm hoping that I like it till the end. Cause my friend has me <laughs> concerned. Um, yeah. If you like stuff, mystery, um, kind of like world war two ish Nazis and bombs and just strange things going on about town and ghosts and all that stuff. Uh, just a really, really intriguing book so far. So that's uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the graphic novel version by Ransom Riggs. Cool. Indeed. Awesome. I'm oh, enjoying it. What was the other book? The other book was The Superannuated Man by Ted McKeever from uh, Image Shadowline Books. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, Mara, you already spoiled what it's going to be, but let's talk about yeah. All You Need Is Kill. Yeah, this is, I'm only going to have a one pick of the week. Um, on June 2nd, when the weekly Shonen Jump came out, it contained the final manga issue of All You Need Is Kill. And uh, I've spoken briefly about this on Comics and Coffee, but All You Need Is Kill is a novel written by Hiroshi Sakurazaka, and since he wrote it, um, it's been turned into a graphic novel, a movie, and a manga. Wow. It's a very interesting um, story. It will make sense to you if you've seen Edge of Tomorrow because that's the movie that, the, um, that was based off the story. Basically, it's about a near future where aliens land on Earth and start to uh, take it over. And, of course, being um, who we are as Earthlings, we want to protect our turf. So all these countries kind of band together and um, equip their soldiers with these super suits to deal with these overpowered aliens. And things aren't going so, so great. Um, they've been losing territory. Uh, it seems like humanity is doomed until 
a character called um, Rita appears, and she is kind of the savior figure of of this story. Our main character, however, is a fresh recruit, and in the manga and in the novel, his name is Keiji Kiriya. But I think in the movie he's got a different name. The Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm character. guessing. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's Japanese. Yeah. Like your name doesn't in make any movie. sense. <laughs> yeah. But it's a multicultural future. It it's could, true. But Tom Cruise isn't multicultural. He's from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, he's this fresh recruit. He goes into his first battle and he immediately dies. And that all happens in like the first chapter of the novel, where you know he. He dies, and then he wakes up, and it's like 36 hours before he died. He's reliving the same thing, um, same questions are being asked of him, same events, and he goes into the next battle where he dies, and then he gets sent back 36 hours uh, in the past. And he keeps going through this cycle. And the novel, you know, is is heavy on the science fiction um, and trying to, to explain, like, the alien part as well as what this weird time loop is and the military and the fighting and action. And it makes a perfect story for a manga adaptation. And the adaptation is done by Takashi Obata. And he did uh, a manga series called Hikuro no Go, which is basically about a middle school kid playing this ancient Japanese board game. So <laughs> when, when I heard that, I was kind of like, what? But he's done a phenomenal job with this manga series and um, just the detail he's done on the fight suits, the way he's drawn the aliens, uh, the, the character growth he's done just in um, Keiji's like, facial expressions and how he's gone from this raw recruit to this hardened um, fighter. It's phenomenal. And the, the detail is spot on. And you know it's manga, so it's all black and white. You don't really see Rita's red suit or blood or, or the aliens and things like that you just get that that black and white with shades of gray interpretation mm-hmm. it's it's great um like i said the final issue of it just came out in last week's shonen jump and it's going to be collected in two digital volumes and then like a print omnibus later in like november or december sometime around the fall uh the first volume of it is um, released digitally on June 19th, the same day as it is in Japan, which really doesn't happen very often. You usually get the English or no- North American version several months later. But the fact that, that it's been released same day in both countries is really cool. I'm trying so to get some of that movie money. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jumping in on that movie money for sure. And it, it's the first half of, of the story with um, the second volume published a little bit later. So, Mara, you've you've read all three versions of this story, right? Right. Um, I haven't seen the movie though. Right, I haven't Not seen yet. the movie yet. Uh, what do you What do you prefer of the three versions? Oh, definitely the manga. And uh, the novel was great. Novel was a quick read, but the manga really, I don't know, it just made it more urgent to me. And I think that's really a lot to do with the medium of it that it's a really quick read and you feel like a lot of stress from it whereas the novel for me my reading pace of the novel is a lot slower mm-hmm. and I tend to you know just stroll through something as I'm reading it but with the manga I go super fast um, it, it it definitely is leaps and bounds above the graphic novel adaptation 
that came out, the really thin little paperback one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely, it's worth waiting for the manga adaptation of the story. The book is really good too. Cool. But, you know, this is this is a comics podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to pimp out that comic. <laughs> I'm very excited about the movie and in turn, I really do want to read the, the manga. So it's cool that it's coming so soon. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's awesome. Um, you wrote what you wrote up about all you need is kill on um, comics and co uh, not comics coffee. We talked about it on comics and coffee. You wrote up on Manga Monday about yes. all you need is kill, um, and that's not really a review of the book, but um, it leads me into one of our listener questions here, which we got on Twitter. Um, and I think I wanted you to start out with this, Mara. He, um, this is at nerd one three seven on Twitter. It says, "How do you write reviews? Do you have any specific method?" Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I I've definitely changed my method of review writing since uh since writing with co talking comics uh now the way i do it is i take notes as i'm reading which is oh it makes the reading a lot less fun <laughs> but <laughs> um when you're reading something all of a sudden like you think of a reference or some theme pops in your head and you can quickly jot it down and you can go back to it later and expand on it that's that's how i i write my reviews now mm -hmm. so cool cool what about uh you steve um, let me see. For me, I, I, my, my reviews are a little strange. If you go back and you look at some of the stuff that I've written on talking comics, I have a tendency to tell stories, uh, within my reviews. I don't just review the book. I kind of relate the book's content to other things, maybe things that are a little bit more personal things that have happened in my life. Um, I also tend to talk a lot about music in my reviews, but how do I go about it? Um, I try to write more so, about how I feel about the book, how the book makes me feel. Not necessarily. I try not to concentrate on like a synopsis or tell you too much about what the book is about because I, I feel like you can get that from anywhere. You can mm. get that from a synopsis on a website or whatever. If you come to read a review, if you come to read one of my reviews, you're looking for my personal take on the book. So usually what I'll do is... Um, same thing that I do for my, my uh, animation column on Joe Blow is that... I try to find things within the story to, to attach myself and anchor onto that I can elaborate on. And I will pick out certain highlights of the story and like elaborate on those and give my thoughts on those as opposed to telling you, you know, the whole story of the book or just mm -hmm. reviewing it. You know, this is what happened in the book, because if you're going to read it, you're going to want to leave that stuff for, for when you're, you know, reading the book yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, Go with your gut. Try to you know, try to be original when writing reviews, and try to try to do what feels right for you. I enjoy telling people stories and and relating things. I like things to be personal. That's just that's the way that I operate. That's the way I've always been. If you try to talk to me about the weather, it it doesn't work for me. I I need something. I need to know something about you to attach myself to the conversation and get involved. If it's not there. I'm not there. Mm. So I try to make my reviews uh, as personal as possible so that the people aren't just getting information. They're getting to know the writer them, itself, mm. themselves, myself, whatever. The <laughs> Yourself. <that>. Yeah. Words. <laughs> Someone's getting hungry. Bob, what about you? Oh, I'm with Mara. I'm a note taker and no one can see this, but I'm sitting here with a clipboard. Mm. I'm very old fashioned. So it's, it's index cards clipboards and so on i will generally make a column down the left hand side of the page and that'll be where the notes are going as i'm reading and then mm -hmm. i'm writing next to the notes i've actually taken mm -hmm. to try to relate it that way then it's 
I like telling history stories. Mm -hmm. So then it's go home and then dive into the back room and pull boxes apart. Well, this is like issue number 14 of this mm-hmm. from 40-some-odd years ago, and then try to tie it all together. And, and similar to Steve, I also don't... I, I start to apologize for telling too much of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to stop now, because you should read this yourself mm-hmm. and just sort of go to that. Occasionally get kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. I get a little strange that She-Hulk article I wrote where all of a sudden Jennifer Walters <laughs> is breaking in, interrupting my article, and finally takes yeah. over. I, I will occasionally go for something bizarre that sometimes mm-hmm. it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you have to trust what you're doing right? and just try. Right. right. I mean, that wasn't really a review, though. That was a column that you were, you were yeah. writing. Yeah, yeah, Um, You know, for me, as far as review process goes, not really a philosophy behind reviews, but process, um, my process basically, I don't take notes when I'm reading the book. The first time I read the book, I don't want... I want to I want to read the book as if I am a person who took it off the shelf and, and I'm, as I'm reading mm-hmm. it. So I will read it, and then that's really where I kind of that the, the, that first read that only tells me one thing about my review, whether or not it's going to be a positive review or a negative review. Um, and then mm-hmm. I read it again to then 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 I start to break down the things about it that I like and I don't like. Yeah. Um, I tend to really like if I'm going to review something, which I, mean, I don't review very many, very many books anymore. But what I tend to do is I will read the book and then I will immediately start writing the review because I need it to be fresh in my head mm-hmm. in order to do it correctly. You know, yeah. Because I read so much, I don't want to get I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of, of other things. Um, so that's what I do. You know, and and then uh, you know, like everything else, because I I I I did a lot of structure stuff in school. I I give myself a structure definitely. I mean, I go outside that structure, but I definitely. I want to tell people, you know, the intro is kind of like, um, it gives some context to where the, what the book is, where it's coming from. This is what's a, a little bit of what's come before, a little bit, you know, what, what we're dealing with now. Um, and then the body of the review generally talks about the writer, the story, the artist. You know, I always try to make sure to mention the artist. Mm-hmm. And if you're writing comic book reviews, I mean, it is... It is very easy if you lean either towards art or towards writing to forget about yeah. writing the one or about one yes. or the other. Yes. It's very very simple. And I, if you look back at my reviews at the beginning of Talking Comics, they were almost purely writing based because I just did not it's, have the way to do it. It's hard for the artist not to feel like a footnote. Exactly, exactly. So I try very very hard. I, I, I'm a big believer in, I, uh, like Steve said, and as, as Bob said, I'm a big believer in you know being naturalistic when I'm writing. But when it comes to stuff like that. Um, I believe that you really, I really, you really need to make an effort to mention it because yeah. we're, we're reviewing a comic book and it, it's half the equation. And also, I think on this site we've made a big effort in the last few months to mention other members of the team, even colorist, more inkers, colors, yeah, inkers, letters, right. letters yeah. all those people because I think it's important that they get they get more credit. Um, as far as my philosophy behind the review in general, it's that a exactly I do not want I'm not giving you a recap of the book because. Mm-hmm. Hey, in comic books, comic books are weird. It's even less so than in movies or TV. Uh, comic books are so short. Like, you can't give a synopsis. You give a, a short synopsis, you've basically given away the entire book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and B, when, when I'm thinking about a review, and, and this isn't to say I don't put personal stuff into a review, but when I review, I go, if I'm writing something, if I'm criticizing something, and it seems overly harsh, like, not, not just critical, but overly harsh, or, you know, I read a line that's funny, I think to myself... Am I writing this review, this line because it's going to help the person buying the book, or am I writing it because it's making me feel clever? You know, and if the answer is it's making me feel clever, that line gets cut from the review immediately mm-hmm. because I it, I'm not writing that review. I'm writing the review so someone who's coming to the site who wants to know if they should buy a book, mm-hmm. this is the reason why, yeah. or or not buy, or not buy right, the book, yeah. and but it's not to you know incite a 
conversation. It's not to it's not to make waves. It's just to be as honest as I can about how I feel yeah. a, about a book. Um, but that's 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 how I go about writing reviews. Yeah, I mean, a good example um, for me personally is if you check out my, I think the first two reviews I've done all but one of them um, for Alex and Ada book by. Um, Luna Brothers, or one of them rather, mm-hmm. uh, and Sarah Vaughn is I for those books in particular. Um, I'm kind of doing a, a series of reviews on those, talking about the themes of that book more so than the book itself and the events, because that book is really about each issue is kind of moments rather than like huge arcing story things that are happening. It's very very localized in its delivery issue to issue. Um, but I try to think about what that book makes me feel and, you know, themes of love and loss and complicated things. And I like to also ask my readers questions. You know, when this book, when I read this book, it makes me think of this. What do you think of this? What are the relationships in your past that have made you feel this way? You know, what makes you a better person? That kind of stuff. I like to address my audience a lot mm. when I write. I think it's fun. Yeah. And I also think it's different in comic books too because look, when you, when you review a movie, you're reviewing a movie and that's it. It's done. When you review comic books, especially if you're going to continue to review a series like Steve was saying, like Alex and Ada, it's impossible to write issue the review of issue five the same way you write the review of issue one. Yeah. You can't pretend like you haven't been reading the book. You can't mm-hmm. address the people who are reading your review like they haven't been reading the book. You know, you can you you can say that's lines and reviews mm-hmm. are important that are like the series continues to be fantastic for these reasons. Right. But you cannot write a review of Alexander number five and ignore what happened in one through four. It just right. it's impossible to do it. Well it's like that moment when they when they, they step outside together and mm-hmm. you know the sun sets in the background, they're holding hands on the on the patio and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I'm not just going to write like, you know, there's this moment where Mm -hmm. they're out on the patio. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to describe that moment to you. And then I'm actually going to talk about what that moment made me feel Mm -hmm. when I read it. Right. I think that's a hell of a lot more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. It's it's, it's the way you should write reviews. I mean, it's, you don't want to write reviews. They're not dry recaps. And I think Stephanie actually talked about this on Twitter a little bit about there's a difference between writing a review and writing a recap of something like TV show recaps are kind of a big thing because it's so immediate, you know, it happens mm-hmm. every week and it's tough to fully just review straight out an episode of a TV show with all new content when you have to get it out in two hours after it aired. Um, but when you're writing movie reviews and you're writing comic book reviews, the last thing you want to do is write about plot. That's the last thing you want to do. It doesn't make any sense to do it. It just, it's dry, it's stupid, it's boring, and it doesn't differentiate yourself. No. You, no. The point, people, people are going to read your reviews because you're different than someone else's opinion, not because you just rehash to them something they can read anywhere on wikipedia now mario you write so much stuff for school do you find it easier or difficult to switch writing voices you know i didn't realize until i was working on my dissertation because i when you write reviews you want to be very definite in what you say mm-hmm. otherwise you're wishy-washy you, you feel like you're not standing your ground but when you're writing academically especially for research uh when you're hypothesizing, you have to say a lot of like, maybe, can, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> my my dissertation chair was pointing all this out to me. I'm like, no, I feel like it does. <laughs> Don't make me be that person. Don't make me be that person. But for, for the overall tone, it, it really, for me, I try to take a lot of personal out of it. Um, when I write reviews, I try not to use any any pronouns, anything that might re- refer to me. And 
for that's just that's just a style of writing that's carrying over from academia because mm. you don't talk about yourself when you're writing research. Right. You, you talk about the actual subject, and that's something that's more comfortable for me when writing reviews. Um, so so I stick with that. That's just my default mode of writing, mm-hmm. and you know pairing that up with looking at themes and stuff that carries over, like uh, Steve was saying. Yeah. I, I think comic book, re- comic book reviewing is a interesting um, field of, of writing because it, it, it's, it's both, it's very frustrating at times because of that kind of monthly thing you, you, you sent, I think, to run out of things to say in, in, in very short order. Um, but I think it's fascinating to have, you know, a, a year or plus year if you keep keep reviewing the same title of this like huge swath of criticism about one like living body of, of literature. I think it's very very it's very special to this medium. Um, but I think what happens is, and look, I mean, obviously we do it for free, but reviewing comics anywhere is not a lucrative job. No. You know, it, there's not a lot of money in comic book editorial. You know, it just is not. Um, so you, I don't think you get a lot of people who do it for a very long time. You know, you get people who move on, who have to move on and do other things. You know, um, you get some, and, and I think that results in like people, the articles you see like at CBR and stuff like that, which some of those articles are fantastic. These long journalistic takes on things, but I think it, what it really ends up for the most part you getting is a bunch of people writing reactionary you know, fanboy rage inciting reviews mm-hmm. because they themselves are people who feel that same way, who don't have a maturity or critical eye towards it. They just, they love comic books and now they want to write about comic books. Right. And there is a certain responsibility that comes when you decide to sit behind a computer and say, I know more about this than somebody else. Mm-hmm. You better prove that. Yeah. yeah. And you better, and you better be, have, you better take the responsibility on to know that, the words I write right now are going to have an effect. Like I don't care about the people who write the book, but the people who are people who might buy the book, or people who are like there's an effect that happens there, and that's a responsibility. When you, if you want to call like I don't call myself a journalist, but if you want to call yourself a critic, you have you have a responsibility to do that stuff, and that's what I'm always thinking about when yeah. I write reviews. Editorials are something different. Editorials you can have a ton of fun with. You can do whatever you want with them, but when you're writing reviews, it's a little bit different story. The worst. Review. I, I should. I, that's the wrong way to say it. Mm. I think it was a good review, mm. but it's the thing that I reviewed as the worst I had read, which was the new Miss Fury. Right. And <laughs> I, I needed to have some fun with that because mm. I was going to say such awful things right, right. <laughs> about something that really meant a lot to me and should mean a lot to comic mm. book people in general. So, against the, its prior history, it was terrible. As a new book, it was terrible, mm-hmm. and the art was bad, and the writing was bad, and the whole thing. And I wrote it once, mm-hmm. straight. Mm-hmm. And it was just talking about mm-hmm. harshness. It was so awful. Right. I couldn't stand to look at it myself. <laughs> and I'm very bad at that anyway. I'm much yeah. like Dorothy Parker. I write three words and erase five. <laughs> I'm just not happy with how a sentence flows. So this, I just took the whole thing and chucked it. Mm-hmm. And what, you know what? If I make this funny, mm-hmm. have some fun with it, but still tell people, this is what you shouldn't be reading. Save your money. Buy the old reprints. Right. And I had lots of comments and mm. letters that said thank you i saved four dollars that i'm going to put toward buying a real book yeah mm-hmm. absolutely thank you very much that you know that meant a lot that i tried something bizarre yeah and it worked so you, to our questioner you yeah. find your own voice yeah absolutely you know stay true to what you think but also to the form yeah. and criticism and journalism in general and yeah you're, you'll be good to go absolutely thank you for the question it's a great great question yeah. mm-hmm. awesome question mm-hmm. um 
All right, so I'm gonna do my books of the week right now. Oh, oh, we still we're still doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't done I, mine yet. I like this this <laughs> mixing up thing. I don't know if it's always gonna work, but yeah. I'm liking this. Tonight. We, we we had the right kind of questions tonight. I was looking yes. at questions like there's a lot of like on topic questions on the on the, on the thing. Segways galore. I know, I know. So um, so hot right now. Really quick. So from Image Comics, here we go. We got Nailbiter number Ooh, two. Yeah. Um, Joshua Williamson. Um, and I can't date Mike Mike Henderson. I thought it was Mike Henderson, but I was like that. I came to me so quickly that I was like, that can't be right. I <laughs> thought Harry and the Hendersons, so um, I'm more far gone than you on that. Um, so uh, we we pick up kind of directly where we left off um, last week, which was with our our um, our hero is going to meet the, the nail biter himself and ask him about the disappearance of of um, I can't remember his name. The guy Carol Carol the uh, disappearance of I mean investigating why all these serial killers seem to come from this one little town. Um, this issue, the first issue was great. I think this issue it matches it as far as as, as quality goes. Um, so we start to get now more into the the makeup of the town and, and what may be going on behind the scenes that we're not really you know sure about. Also, the revelation that this gentleman, the, the nail biter, is I thought he was like under house arrest. Nope, he's free to do whatever the hell he wants yep. oh. you know um and, and that's part of big part of the story and there's only a policeman in front of his house to protect him in case people try to attack him because they think he's you know they they he did all this yeah. horrible stuff um really good scene between between him um and our two main characters and then um some really cool stuff with kind of the underbelly of the town as well and what may be going on what the the thing that might be driving all of this and I, I love so far. I loved it in the first one with the the book the book burner, mm-hmm. um, and this one as well. We get another like this is one of the killers from the town. Yeah, and these little vignettes are both disturbing and horrifying, and also kind of hilarious and how like <laughs> crazy they are. It makes me want to see other stories yeah. involving these killers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, the, there is this kind of our main character keeps seeing something. When they're, when they're driving around and it's an impossible something and you kind of learn what that thing is here and why it, why it exists. But I just, I think it's great. You know, it has, it, the town has a very great sense of place to it. Very similar to when you spoke about Southern Bastards, the, the, both towns, I think you feel them as living places. Yeah. They, they have an identity. You can imagine people living there. And I think that uh, the, the picture he's painting of these characters, I think is also, um, very interesting and fits very well in kind of this this yeah. horror like motif. There's a there's a groove to this that I could totally see this working as like a true detective yeah, yeah. kind of show. That um, I mean, there was this one there's this one panel with the the nail biter himself where he's talking about uh, slaughtering the cows and how it's an it's a nice release for him. And there's this one panel of him just going to town. It's not super graphic. You don't get mm-hmm. to see the cow, but he's just you know hacking away at this thing. And it reminds me of something that you would see in, like, I guess, like American Psycho mm-hmm. or something like that. Just one of those really quick cuts, uh, like, you know, watching a film and all of a sudden it's just quick flashback, you know, like, you yeah. know, hacking up the cow and then right back into the story. Nice and calm mm-hmm. demeanor and just that quick little jolt to the system. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really enjoying the hell out of this yeah, book. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. And then there's just a fucking beautiful preview for the for low? low yeah the rick remender book that's coming out just looks uh it's just, like bioshock uh, yeah it just looks uh, amazing so i'm excited about that too but nail biter number two um really really good series if you're 
if you're if you're a single issue guy, person and you, and you haven't decided you want it yet, it's definitely a book to look out for. And if you're a trade waiter, when the trade comes out, definitely definitely check it out. Absolutely, it's really really. I awesome. just noticed the logo. Are those supposed to be bitten off fingernails behind the lettering? Um, they very well might be. I don't, <laughs> but I don't think, think so. so. Don't they're know. they're a little too square. It looks like a fence to me. Actually, oh, okay. it looks like a like almost like a. The the letters themselves definitely have been uh, gnawed on a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have. They look like they've been bitten. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the other book I want to talk about here is um, Earth Two, number twenty four, um, from Tom Taylor, and we have, we have a. It says Nicholas Scott on the cover, but I don't believe it's Nicholas Scott doing the interiors. No, it's Eddie Barrows doing the interiors oh. this this month. Um, still very very nice stuff. Um, we have the return of Alan Scott here. Um, and we get to see him using his powers kind of in full, in full blast, some very beautiful panels and some great, uh, great green use of green, mm. the most green I've ever seen. The most green uh, you've ever seen. And, uh, a nice little reveal at the end, <laughs> at the end of the story. Um, it, it's just, this book, since he took it over, I talked about it a little bit in the previous weeks, but since he took it over, it's been, it's been substantial and, and, and just a lot of fun to read. And he manages to make this stuff that, there's some like you know pretty horrible stuff happening, and I, I think uh, Robinson left him with some pretty like um, intense stuff to to come back from. But he manages to it, it's still very intense, but it doesn't feel like you know too much like overkill. You know, it just it he he he's not light in his tone, but for some reason it just it works, and it's been a super enjoyable book to read month in and month out. Um, and it's nice because you know it. It had got for me. I had no interest in reading the the James Robinson book, and th- this one has just been fantastic. And the art has continued to be great cool. from Nicholas mm-hmm. Scott. Um, and the the ongoing story with kind of the 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 Lois Lane character and the Superman character has been has been sometimes heartwarming, which has been interesting. And I just like seeing these uh, these characters running around because it's they're just not characters you see other places right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Including Doctor Fate, who if Ooh. people haven't seen yet, I don't know if people have seen this, and I just remembered this, the European Constantine trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, someone picks up the Doctor Fate helmet, mm-hmm. so, and I thought of Bob immediately. Yeah, I saw that especially they did it so badly back in the Smallville. Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool that that's that's going on. I mean, Earth Two Number Twenty Four is great. There's not a ton to say about it. It's just been a consistently really, really enjoyable book. Um, this is going to run into the weekly. I don't know. I, 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 and there's an event. There is an event. Yeah. So far, none of the weekly books have really started to have interfered with any of the regular monthly books. So I don't think so. But uh, I don't know if Earth, their two roster of characters, is big enough to support a weekly that doesn't interfere with the regular monthly book. Well, um, World's Finest is changing. Right. That's becoming a Batman Superman of Earth two book. Right. And they're moving into the weekly, which is going to become world's finest, world's battle end, or some other. <sighs> Those are all words that I'm sure right. are in the title. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is the stuff that all comes together next March, April, mm-hmm. where they're trying to get ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I gave up on this book so long ago. Yeah, I know, and I, you know, honestly, I picked it up with issue. I think it was issue like twenty one. He took over with or twenty or whatever it was nineteen. Yeah, it was, I think it was nineteen actually, uh, something like that. But uh, I, I gave up on it as well. And I just, you know, I had liked what I'd read of Injustice. So, and I thought this is like exactly like Injustice. It's parallel universe. There's a lot of dark stuff happening right now. And he did such a good job handling that. I was like, you know what? Let me read. Mm. 
this because you know who who knows it could it could surprise me it could be great and I just picked it up and I was you know I was utterly confused because I had no idea what was going on it was like it's like he took over right in the middle of a story it wasn't even like he got his own Ouch. beginning um, but as soon as I was acclimated what was going on I just I just loved it loved it so Earth Two Number Twenty Four check that out um, so let's do let's do a couple more listener questions before we we, we get out of here just a couple. Okay. Um, James Hammond, part-time powers on Twitter wants to know, mm-hmm. what is your dream comic book shop? Ooh. Bob. Of all time ever. Yeah. We'll just build one in your brain. Okay. I would want people, there aren't, anyone's going to remember Forbidden Planet, which had originally stores in London, opened one in Greenwich Village in New York on 12th and Broadway. They were across the street from the Strand Bookstore. And it was three stories of new comics, old comics, imported horror books, toys, games. It was a superstore. Mm. And as much as I like Midtown Comics, which if you're going to say, there's a place to go that seems to have everything on the shelf. Forbidden Planet had that, but also an old bookstore vibe that went with Mm. it. It wasn't so pristine and sterile. It was kind of scruffy. Mm Mm-hmm. But it really just sort of worked. You you felt welcome walking in, and it was so between the seventies, it was so different. There were comic stores around, Super Snipe, and a few of those places, and they were the comic book guy, some little guy behind the counter, mm. you know, probably still smoking a cigar. <laughs> but I mean, to construct one, I, yeah, I'd I'd want it to look like the Toys R Us in Times Square, and <laughs> five stories and giant statues of dinosaurs and a big penny. <laughs> you know, have it look like the Batcave. But of one that existed, I'd say the old Forbidden Planet in Grand Village. Nice, nice. Um, you know, for me, I, I really, not, and this probably isn't a good idea because these have all failed, but a comic book store that had kind of the vibe of like a Barnes & Noble or something like that, you know, maybe, I mean, not as corporate and, and removed as mm-hmm. that, but, you know, spacious with, you know, manicured and curated like end caps and tables and places and suggestions and and stuff like that and, and a, like a nice a nice coffee shop for people to sit down and, and read the you know wow. they buy their monthly their, their weekly books and they get a place that they can just sit down and just read them you know and they can hang out and they can talk and you know it's a place where you know you can have people come and do signings or do readings or or whatever or you know even big enough where you can have a panel there or something like that you know um i would i mean because of, i mean obviously we do this but there's a lot of them i would have a section where if there were podcasts or something like that that wanted to broadcast and do it, do shows from, there'd be an area, like a setup for that. Wow. Mm, you know, that a, could be cool. Just, you know, a, a place that embraces what comic culture is. You know, all the things it does, which is community, but also, also goes like, belies the whole like, you know, t- dirty, little, um, right. hard to navigate shop that has... You know, Bob and I talked about this off mic last last week, but like that has fifty years worth of books in it that no one's gonna ever look at. You know, like you can have those books, but you should also have the ability to have people know where things are. You know, a system where they can maybe look at at a, at a catalog or like look on the computer and be like, mm-hmm. oh, they have issue forty six of Daredevil, like the 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 the, the third edition, the third volume. Um, can can somebody go get that for me? And they go back and they get it and they bring it out to you. You know, I like that. You know, I like that idea. Or maybe digitally a way to explore as well. Maybe it's like almost digital racks where you can kind of like look through what books they have. You know, you don't have to look exactly for what you're looking for. Yeah. You have that ability for discovery as well. Um, and some obviously single issues out as well. Like 
collected runs maybe in those long boxes of things that you know you know people want or people might be looking for but you know and and a staff that has the ability to like and the and the and i mean we know shops like this but who will welcome the chance to find you something and somewhere else you know oh we don't have this issue you know of iron man but let me make a few calls let me let me call a few people let me look some stuff up maybe i can find it for you and get it in here you know or i can give you a lead on where it is or whatever you know so someplace that embraces like the, the the tenets of good retail but also keeps alive what makes reading comic books special you know mm. that's what that's what i would want i have the idea of the physical space it would look like <laughs> here on the island i don't know people may know you do mm. a book review in huntington yeah yeah absolutely where it's an old-fashioned bookstore but it has a loft mm-hmm. it has a little coffee yeah. shop yeah. it has events yeah exactly yes yeah. exactly exactly the kind of place like that absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um mara yeah what do you uh what would you do for a comic book store i'm i'm thinking something a little cozy uh every comic book shop i've been in has been full of long boxes of old dusty used comics you know the kind that you buy you know a long box for 30 bucks from you know whatever drug dealer's house they came from (laughs) (laughs) i worked in a comic book shop i've seen some of the the dirt covered comics that you know they would buy all those drug Uh, dealers all those drug dealers (laughs) with their comic books Uh, but my my ideal store would wouldn't be very large it would still you know be pretty small and cozy but wood floors well lit mm-hmm. um nothing but comic books graphic novels and manga no smush uh, doobies in between the uh stacks <laughs> no hookahs in the back room local comic book store turned from being a comic book store into being a magic the gathering store yeah. Because they've they've started incorporating board games and toys and cards and their comics have just completely, you know, it, it's out the window. Um, the the staff haven't read a comic book in years, and it's it's not really the most welcome environment for a comic book reader. Mm-hmm. And an ideal store for me would be something where the staff is required to read the books as they come in, like. Part of your job is to sit there and read comic books so you can talk to your customers about comic yeah. books. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds ridiculous to ask for a comic book store to do, but I want that insurance there. I want that there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, uh, I don't laugh. I've been to a bead store, you know, where you buy beads. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. just <laughs> whatever. Hilarious, <laughs> Mara. Ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. A store full of just beads. <laughs> and uh, they had a back room where they did beading classes like how to make your own earrings mm-hmm. and jewelry and different designs a, a comic book store that had a back room where they used it to um for book clubs or mm-hmm. you know like you said podcasting things like that yeah just to kind of give a meeting space for the members of their community but i, I think for me the the big draw for a perfect comic book store would be a lot of graphic novels mm-hmm. um as well as you know the popular month's month series but a real a real emphasis on graphic novels because it i believe that's where our our comic books are going mm-hmm. they're they're leaning more towards those standalone graphic novels and collections that that are super accessible for for readers right absolutely hmm. all right steve i would like a store that um was very unlike midtown comics 
as much as humanly possible. I would try to uh, build a store on community. My my focus would be discounts and staff. Those would be the two things that I would uh, concentrate on the most. I would want my staff to be involved. I would want them to be involved. I would want them to be informed. I would want them to be non-biased. I would be very as non-biased as this as biased as this sounds. I would be very strict about that. Um, if you're going to work for me, if you're going to work in my comic book store, you need to be cool. Uh, we need to have a kid section. One of the things that I loved about uh, Escape Pod Comics in Huntington was that they have a dedicated back room that was all kids' books. There was Molly Danger. There was Captain Action Cat. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I I I commend. I went up to the guy and I said, "Listen, I'm like, you guys have." done a killer job with making that back room. He's like, that's my favorite part of the store. So that's my favorite part of the store too. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was because it was free comic book day weekend that there's, you know, heavy traffic. So they discounted a lot of books, but there were so many amazing hardcovers. I got the fifth beetle for 40% off. Mm -hmm. If I had a store, if I could, if I was able, I would do stuff like that all the time. Um, I would like to have some kind of build, some kind of a community, uh, maybe some tabletop gaming areas, um, and I would have contests. I would have maybe cosplay contests. See if there's maybe, um, like a, a a calling for it. I mean, you could wind up in a town where people just aren't into that kind of thing. But you never know; it could draw people. Uh, I would try to have guests to my store at least once a month for signings. Um, and basically try to just create an environment where people feel welcome. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of comic book stores is that people don't feel welcome in them. Mm. Um, And I think so much of that has to do with the staff and a lot of it has to do with the layout. And it uh, oftentimes comic book stores, our own, for example, is very cramped. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it can go from comfortably browsing to having even just four or five people come in to all of a sudden, you can't move. You can't breathe. Yeah. You gotta. You know. You gotta get out of there. Mm-hmm. You don't want to leave, yeah. but you have to yeah. because it's just too close for comfort and it's time. Yeah. So, um, I would try to keep things nice. I would try to keep things current, and uh, I would like a staff picks uh, section mm. so that you you know each person could pick five books maybe uh, per week or or per month, and uh, try to push those books and uh, yeah. I, I If I did do the community thing, if I did try to have people in the store, I would try to put it in a place where it wasn't invasive for the people coming in. Um, one of the drawbacks to Escape Pod Comics is that their kind of hangout section is in the front. Um, there's like a chair mm. and maybe a table and there's a floor. Yeah. And <laughs> you get the same couple of kids coming in and they love to hang out in there. And that's fantastic. That's mm. great. But if you're occupying that space day in and day out or week in and week out, it's going to it's going to make that section of the store unexplorable mm. for outsiders. You can very quickly go sour yeah. on that. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, wrapping up, the most important thing to me would be the staff. Mm. I would want staff to be welcoming. I would want them to be informed. And I would want them to work with me in creating a welcoming environment for the customers. Mm. Absolutely. So thank you very much uh, for that question. Um, let's see here. Well, Superbad Larry wanted to ask us about the the Kirby family uh, the lawsuit, but that nothing has been resolved yet. So I think we're going to save that for yeah. Bob has like eight. Bob's got wow. Um, email Bob. 
Um, we'll talk about it when we get a little bit more resolution or a yeah, little farther in the case. Yet. Nothing happened it's yet. Just an, we could argue, but yeah. we're discussed. But yeah, yeah, but nothing. basically what the thing is like, if, if the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Kirby's, it would literally change the face yeah. uh, of not only Marvel Comics, but also the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Yeah, this is as opposed to all the events and comics that yeah. threaten to change things forever. This ruling changes could change everything forever. It's it's got to do with the definition of what's work for hire, who's an employee, yeah, under which copyright law from nineteen twenty seven. Yeah, it's it very complicated yeah. and it's very intense. And I, I mean, I don't know. I I would like to possibly if we I'm gonna, I'm gonna make do a little search in the coming weeks, find somebody who maybe has a little bit of a legal background who can talk about this because I think it's a very interesting thing, which weighs huge on uh, on our industry. Um, and finally, um. From our friends across the pond, Repstones. Good old Repstones. Um, he's asked us a very European question, which is, who's going to win the World Cup? That's soccer, right? That's soccer. Yeah, soccer. Wow, listen to me. I'm <laughs> horrible. It's wow. Not, it's not going to be the United States, yeah. because we're sort of in the group of death. Yeah, we are in the group of death. Uh, though mm. England's not in such good shape either. It's not going to be England either. Right. Well, <laughs> Wayne Rooney still isn't going to score. He hasn't scored in two straight World Cups. He's not going to score again. So That's right, guys. Big Bob trouble. even knows about soccer. So I yeah. <laughs> football. Foot, it's football. Football. This is where Mara and I check out. <laughs> Let's talk about Mondo. I know it's in Brazil. It is in Brazil. It is in Brazil. A lot of spiders there. You, yeah. I, that could hurt. Yeah, and that they're riding in the streets. <laughs> I would say that there could be a home team, you know, mm. home home pitch advantage in this mm. case. I'm saying Portugal. You got Portugal. the best. Pl- got the best player in the world. So mm. you have Ronaldo. They've had the best player in the world for many years, though, and they never yeah, won. Um, this is their time. This is their time. Uh, yeah, Portugal is in our group of death, correct? Yeah, yeah, Germany, Portugal, Ghana, who's eliminated us twice. Twice in the last two World Cups. <laughs> what is the group of death? So people don't know how the World Cup works. First of all, you know, yeah. obviously it's the it's the it's, it happens every four years. Giant soccer mm-hmm. tournament, one of the biggest sporting the events Olympics in the world. of soccer. Yeah, basically, um, and you know, most tournaments, most playoffs. It's a one and done situation. You would you know team, two teams would face team that lost would be gone. Team that would win would move on move to the forward. next round. The World Cup is like that, except for this first group round, which there are four teams in a group, and they play all play each other. I think twice. Yeah. Um, and whoever comes out with the top two ranked teams moves on to the actual tournament part, where it's win and lose. And okay. the U.S. has one of the most difficult groups um, right. ever. Really, we're going to play Germany and Portugal and get no points. Yeah, Ger- Germany and Portugal are two of the best teams in the world. Germany is arguably the best team in the world. Right. Portugal has the best player in the world. Um, we we Ghana, like he says, eliminated us the last two World Cups. Um, and actually, this is the best we've probably been in I don't know how long, 16 years or yeah. something like that. But if we had gotten, I don't know, Norway or something. Yeah, yeah, we had a chance to move on. If, if, if the U.S. makes it out of this group, they have done everything they ever needed to do in this World Cup because it is unbelievable yeah. if they do that. But hmm. um, really, really difficult. But yeah, for me... I mean, it's funny because the big the big teams are like it's you know Spain, Germany, Portugal, Italy is, is yeah, always very good. Sure. Netherlands is always very good. Brazil is great. Um, I mean, Uruguay is usually good. I don't know what other team is like mm. this year or whatever. But I, I, for me, I think um, I lean. I mean, it's tough because not many teams win it two times in a row, and Spain won it last time. Yeah. But Spain's so good. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm picking Spain. But you didn't think you'd get that involved of an answer? Olay. Stones. Yeah. 
<laughs> is France going to quit again this year the way they did last time around? They went on strike halfway yeah. through the game or whatever. Well, you know, this is, I mean, we're not talk, we'll talk about sports, especially soccer on a comic book <laughs> podcast, but two World Cups ago, I think it was France and um, Germany in the, in the final. Mm-hmm. And that French player whose name I cannot remember headbutted that dude yeah. for no reason. Nice. He's their yeah. best player, one of the greatest players yeah. of all time. Went insane. Went insane. And it's the reason that France lost. lost yeah. But the man down the rest of the World Cup final, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, for one month, every four years, I'm a giant football fan. Football fan. Spider-Man's coming to Disney Infinity 2.0. Nice. <laughs> There's some comic book news to wrap up for you. Uh, exciting stuff. Um, so uh, that's going to do it for our Books of the Week and our news segment. Um, let's quickly go over what's coming out today. Um, let's see here. From um, Archie Comic Publications, we've got Sonic the Hedgehog. Number 261 from Avatar Press. We've got uh, Crossed Badlands, number 55. Dick's End of Time, <laughs> number one. Apostrophe or no apostrophe? No apostrophe. Uh, okay. Uh, God is Dead, number 14, <laughs> which is a funny two things being right yeah. next to each other. Um, we've got Uber, number 14. Uh, from Boom Studios, we have Bee and Puppy Cat, number two. We've got Bravest Warriors, 2014. Impossible special number Aww. one. Get out. Uh, no. Dead letters number three. Empty man number one. Um, we've got Lumberjanes number three. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we've la-la. got returning number four. Um, and Sons of Anarchy number ten from Dark Horse Comics. We've got Abe, Abe Sapien number thirteen. Blackout number three. Uh, we've got. Edgar Allan Poe's Morella and the Murders in the Rue Morgue, one shot. Richard Corbin again. Richard Corbin again. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff on those. Um, we've got New Lone Wolf and Cub, Volume 1, trade paperback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Star Wars, number 18, um, Two Past Midnight, and X, number 14. From DC Comics, we've got Astro City, number 13, Batgirl, number 32, Batman Eternal, number 10, Birds of Prey, number 32, Coffin Hill, number 8, Constantine, number 15. Detective Comics, number 32. We've got FPB, Federal Bureau of Physics, number 11. Green Lantern Corps, number 32. Infinity Man and the Forever People, number one. We've got Justice League United, number two. We've got um, New 52, Futures End, number six. Um, Legends of the Dark Knight, 100-page spectacular, number three. We've got Royals, Masters of War, number five of six. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 46. Smallville, Season 11, Lantern, number three. Superboy, number 32. Superman, Wonder Woman, number nine. World's Finest, number 24. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Ash and the Army of Darkness, number eight. We've got Blood Queen, number one. We've got... No, second printing. We've got... Oh, Legendary, a steampunk adventure, number four. We've got Magnus, Robot Fighter, number two. We've got Pathfinder, City Secrets, number two. Um, From IDW, we've got Angry Birds Comics, number (laughs) one. We've got Crow, Pestilence, number four. Dexter's Laboratory, number three. We've got um, Godzilla, the IDW era, number one. Uh, Haunted Horror, number 11. We've got Rocky and Bullwinkle, number four. Rogue Trooper Classics, number two. Sinister Dexter, number 707. Star Mage, number three. Star Trek, number 34. Um, We've got Transformers. 
Robots in Disguise. That is correct. Number 30. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and Wraith, Welcome to Christmas Land, number seven of seven. Uh, from Image Comics, we've got Manifest Destiny, number seven. Real Heroes, number three. Red City, number one. Revenge, number four. Shudder, number three. Starlight, number four. Tales of Honor, number three. That's because you're a robot. One shot. <laughs> um, Walking Dead, number 128. Uh, Wildfire, number one. And whispers the trade paperback. <sighs> it was so awesome for f- three, four issues. Whispers. And then it got crappy. Maybe it has an alternate ending. Um, no. From Marvel Comics, we have All New Invaders, number six. All New Ultimates, number three. All New X-Men, number 28. <laughs> um, Amazing Spider-Man, number 1.2. We've got Avengers Undercover, number five, Captain Marvel, number four, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number two of four, Deadpool, yeah. number 30, um, Figment, number one, yeah. um, Guardians of the Galaxy, nope, that's second printing, sorry, Hulk, number four, um, we've got Mighty Avengers, number 11. This is a story that was supposed to be two issues back that oh, got okay. pushed on the original Sin gotcha. time. New Avengers, oh, number 19. We've got Nightcrawler, number three. Ooh. Um, we've got Savage Wolverine, number 20. Secret Avengers, number four. She-Hulk, number five. Um, Uncanny X-Men Special, number one. United States of Murder, Inc., number two. And Wolverine, number eight. I think it's the start of the Wolverine three months to die. Oh, okay. I think. Not the death of Wolverine. But the, the Three the months prelude, to die. The yeah, prelude right. to the death of Wolverine. <laughs> Um, from Oni Press, we've got Six Gun, number 41, and Wasteland, number 55. Um, let's see here. And from Valiant, we've got Archer and Armstrong, number 21, Armor Hunters, number 1, and Bloodshot and Hardcore, number 23. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents, Robin Hood, Legend, number 4, and Warlord of Oz, number 2. Da da And that's it for the releases for this week. Thank you guys so much for writing in and giving us all your questions. Um, we have a bunch more, and we'll get to them uh, over the next few weeks. We are at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and TalkingComics.com is the website where you can go to look for all our reviews, articles, videos, all that good stuff. Um, I am at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. I am at Dead underscore Anchorus on Twitter. Uh, Mara. At I love that. I love that. She'd said it normal once and I yelled at her. So (laughs) I can't do that again. Um, Bob, your email address. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Make sure to guys check out obviously our our family uh, of podcasts. um, The Misfits, which Mara is a co-host on with Stephanie Cook and Melissa Megan. Um, What you guys have an episode coming up? We are recording this weekend, nice. and the topic is Bioshock. Oh, awesome. And Ooh. we just tell you, I'm a giant weenie. I can't play this game by myself. I'm a giant weenie. <laughs> that is, that is, that's the best thing in this podcast. Yeah. That's the show title. Yeah. Yep. Should be on the, the box quote of Bioshock. I'm a giant weenie. <laughs> I can't play this game by myself. Mara Wood. It's uh, 100% true. <laughs> you you heard us talk about All You Need Is Kill, and uh, Stephanie has talked about Edge of Tomorrow before on the show, but Talking Movies um, has just done their review of Edge of Tomorrow. It should be out, actually, when you're listening to this. So check that out. 
Um, we also we also have Talking Valiant with, with Adam Shaw hosting that. Um, if you're a Valiant fan, check that out. And I mean, this week is if there's any week to tune into Talking Games, it would be this week, which yeah, is this is the one. Um, E3 has just passed. Um, well, it's going on right now, but the press conferences have passed. So uh, most of the major game announcements have been made. Um, the gauntlets have been thrown down, and there is a lot, a lot of news to to talk about. It's um, going to be a circus. It is, as, as well as some games that have come out in, in, that are, are pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, that show is every Thursday at noon, as Steve has said. Uh, make sure to check that out on, on our our podcasts tab. And that's all the shilling I have to do uh, <laughs> for uh, for. It's a big this list. Week. It is a big list. It is a very, very big list. Um, I've given up doing it on the other show. <laughs> I've, I do it sometimes, and then like I get halfway through, I'm like, meh. <laughs> and uh, also, make sure to check out and try to look for Steve and Bob at Specials in New York City this weekend if you're going to be there. We'll be there. Um, all right. Or, or I'll be at the Beer Authority. Exactly. Or both. Yeah, or both. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it uh, for talking comics for this week. So for Steve. I love you. Bob. Come home, Stephanie. And Mara. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics to be continued. <laughs> <laughs>